0: caleb thanks for thanks for saying yes to this mate really appreciate it uh, i've known about your work for god now like almost went it cj dns is about 10 years old now isn't it a little bit no Indeed. no not as old is it? Uh, let's
1: see, 2021, 2011. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, in 2011, uh, yeah, no, it, it was, uh, I think it went live the first of 2012, the first day of 2012. So, yeah, I mean, it's, the software existed in 2011, just didn't work.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, well, okay, okay. Because I remember with uh, 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 hacking with uh, Chris Double, uh, a new zealand guy and and I, I think it was with chris i can't remember who but we set up this uh we set up a, a few instances of ccjdns and uh we actually got it to work and we just, I, I don't know it was just like a. it was like a bit of a a mind-bending moment for me that that yeah. you know it was like oh my god i'm sending a packet over the internet but it's like it's not it's not you know what i mean it's a, it's a nice overlay going on there it was the first time i sort of like came, uh, this thought process sort of entered into my mind. And, and I'm very curious to know, I'm very curious to know, like, how did you get into this? What is CJDNS? Um, what's the yeah. story morning glory?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I grew up in a rural area in Massachusetts, U S and, um, where I grew up, the internet was just slow. And it, you know, you had to go through the telephone to get to the internet, and it took a really long time before even DSL got run to that area. And um, so, you know, back as far as like my teenage years, I was thinking about the idea that the internet could be something that people did themselves. And you know, we had mountains and you could see the neighbors across the mountain and so you you know you would have a lot of time to wait for pages to load and a lot of time to think about how this could be done better and um you know just just thinking this through that you know we could run our own internet but you know you run into a couple problems and one of them is privacy, and one of them is security. And the privacy problem is kind of huge once you get rid of a centralized ISP. I mean, if you've got a centralized, a big centralized ISP, then you can kind of uh, amortize the the privacy problem and just say, well, there's this one company, they can see everything we're doing, but it's just one. Um, And it's, it's a problem, but it's not a huge problem. And or I mean, people say it's a huge problem, but it's it's on a different magnitude than your neighbor can see what you're doing on the internet. And so, you know, once everybody can see everything, then the problem becomes like, uh, unacceptably huge. And it's just prevents these kinds of networks from getting off the ground. And the other problem is security. And security is, well, unfortunately networks, the way they work is typically the computers trust each other. And, um, that's not really a problem for the internet because the, the regular computers like yours and mine aren't allowed to talk to routers. The routers are the ones that trust each other. And, you know, our computers are saying, uh, our computers are not allowed to talk to those routers and, um, but if they were, then you'd potentially be able to just send like, you'd be able to say, hi, I'm Google. And they would all just accept that. And then all of the traffic meant for Google would go to you and people wouldn't be able to reach Google or worse, you might be able to impersonate Google or something like that. So this, this property of particularly the denial of service, you can, just, you can just take out, typically you can just take out a network and there's a couple exceptions to that one of them is BGP, which is uh, the the routing protocol used to uh, route the internet, um, and that that one is uh, that one is pretty secure against this. Uh, not perfect, but it's pretty good. It's it's one of the best, um, and it's it's good because it's you've got different companies interfacing with each other through this protocol, and uh, that that it's good enough for that. So. Um, BGP is pretty good. Uh, all the mesh networking protocols out there are pretty bad. Um, typically, if there's one node in that network that just is uh, run by an adversary, you're going to have a uh, disaster. So CJDNS was designed with the intent that if there's a node that's evil, we want to limit what it can do. We want to try to put, to put limits on the the amount of damage that it can do to the network we want to try to reason about that whereas other networks just say that's not a threat model so that's that's kind of the origins of it Um, i'm rambling a bit and you can maybe give me another question
0: Uh, no no i mean no no i i I encourage the rambling you see it 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 finds the sort of like you know the cracks in the ledge which you can jam your fingers in and start to climb up further Um, now but I mean okay so so like CJDNS, uh, 10 years ago you must have been about oh say 30
1: Uh um, 10 years ago I was about
0: 21 21 Oh wow okay
1: Or no 23 Yeah 23 I think I was 20 because That's yeah, kind of that's kind of
0: kind of an ambitious age to write a new internet protocol, hey? Uh
1: yeah I I guess so I'm so, person
0: (laughs) okay okay so so i mean so what you just looked at this and you thought okay fuck it i'm gonna write this stuff myself
1: well every morning and this goes back even further than that i mean my teenage years every morning i was getting up and uh drinking my coffee and i was thinking about this problem which i call it the bgp problem and really it's routing table blow um Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't don't know about this problem. There's a much more popular problem, which is that uh, we're, we're supposed to be running out of IP four addresses, and we are. Um, but there's a there's another problem that isn't solved by IPv6. So just to give people a little bit of background, there's two internet protocols, one is called IPv4, and one is called IPv6. And uh, most of the internet actually runs over IPv4. But unfortunately, there's only about 4 billion IP addresses in the IPv4 space. And uh, we are officially out of addresses, they're not all being used, but they've all been allocated to someone or other. Um, so IPv6 has, uh, well, IPv4 has 32 bit addresses, IPv6 has 128 bit addresses, and there's so many of them that uh, we believe will never run out. Um, now, the that the bigger problem is that and the ipv6 doesn't solve this mm-hmm. is that every time you start a new isp so every time you start a new network provider of some sort you have a, your own block of addresses you know you, you say i have uh, i have 32 addresses or i have a 100, uh, 100 256 addresses, whatever number of addresses you have. And then you announce that block to the routers on the internet and say, Hi, I'm here, these are my addresses. And if any you have anything to send to any of these addresses, I'm the one handling it. Mm -hmm. And every one of those announcements adds to the global routing table. And Mm -hmm. the problem is that ISPs want to get blocks of addresses, and they never want to give them up once they have them, because Mm -hmm. It's kind of like property and once It's revenue they,
0: generating, isn't it? it, it oh, or yeah. Potentially revenue generating.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and their IP4 addresses are now really expensive even. Um, so nobody wants to give them up and nobody wants to... Typically, nobody likes putting together groups of addresses into bigger groups. So if you have a group of contiguous addresses, so, you know, this uh, sequential numbers, then you could just group them together as a larger group. But uh, typically ISPs don't really do that. Uh, they, they, they tend to break down into smaller and smaller and smaller groups, and they just never put them back together again. And so the routing table gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've had routers. Um, there was a, a day, a few years, 2014, I think it was, it was, 512k day, you're gonna look it up on the internet. It was a day that uh, the number of prefixes uh, of, of announced routes on the internet crossed over 512,000 and a whole bunch of routers crashed all at the same time because they just ran out of memory. And, and now <laughs> everybody knew this or everybody kind of knew this was gonna happen.
0: A Y2K problem kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, but except for the ISPs who had those routers you know it, it's like the people who the, the people who are watching were like hey the, the, the routers are gonna crash and the ISPs that uh, you know had them were you know, like kind of asleep and then the routers crashed and then they they rushed out a patch and you know big parts of the internet were out for about half a day because of this 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 problem and th- this is coming again uh, I mean it, it, there was seven hundred. So they, they rushed a patch and they basically just took some some memory space away from the IP six address uh, and they gave that to IP four and but it's coming again we're gonna run out of space again and then the routers have to be upgraded and uh, these are perfectly functional routers but they are uh, not able to switch the the more uh, the more routes that exist on the internet so anyway i was thinking about this problem like how could this be solved as a as a fundamental issue like how could you just solve this forever and um what i came to i came back to what's known as source routing and this was something that was studied in the early 90s but um basically it didn't really go anywhere um source routing you give the the sender of the packet so uh, just for, for people's information, uh, data sent across the internet is broken up into little messages that are called packets, and it's, it's a bit like uh, sending mail. You put an address on the message and you send it, and then the person at the other end takes all the letters and puts them all back together to get what you wanted to send. So as we're having this, this video call here, uh, my computer is sending uh, a stream of packets one after the other over to uh, the server at uh, Jitsi. Um, Anyway, the idea of source routing is that you would put instead of the address of the packet where you, the like somehow uh, one two three oak uh, lane or something, you would put the directions to get there. Now, those of us who are are the pre uh, GPS generation know the difference between address and directions. I, I think a lot of people don't just say what is directions, but um, we probably I mean, you you drive you you remember, uh, when you used to, you know, figure out that you just take the address and go on the map, and then you write down the left and the right turns that you had to make and then you you'd read the directions when you're in the car. Uh, so anyway, this is the idea of source routing is that you put the, the exact directions that the packet has to take. And the upside of the the downside well it's good to say the downside of that is if there's a roadblock then you have a problem you can't just route around that you have to send you have to either send that packet back where it came from or you have to drop it and then send another one with, with corrected directions the upside of that is that at each router along its path from its source to destination you do very little computing And that's really important because the routers are having to switch billions of packets per second. And uh, I don't know if it's billions, but some of them are probably switching billions. Um, they're, they're switching a very large amount of packets per second. And that is requiring them to do this computation of based on this destination address, which road is the best one to take next. And, you know, that that's the kind of the computation that your GPS does, but, uh, you're having to do that, like at least millions of times per second. And, uh, that's leading to very expensive hardware and very, it it just, that's, that's the, the things that are, these routers are getting overloaded with too many routes in the, in the internet. And, uh, that's, what's leading to, and and nobody wants to replace them because they're so expensive. Mm. So. The source routing, this was the the change of CJDNS. And one of the unique properties of CJDNS was that the route in in CJDNS, as you go forward through the network, it basically, it takes apart the route one step at a time that the forward route, and it builds up a backward route in the, the packet header. So at any point along there, if there's a roadblock, you can actually turn the packet header around in reverse, and that gives you the path back to where the packet came from. That's the unique property of CJDNS. And with that unique property, we're able to solve a, you know, a big problem with source routing, which is you, you get into a corner and then you have no way back and you have no way forward, and you don't know what to do with the thing. You, all you can do is drop it and hope that the sender figures out that there's something wrong. And uh, so solving that problem, like opened up a, a, a kind of a world of possibilities because, you know, we could do we could do source routing. And when there was a problem, we could just send it back and then the sender would be able to figure out what to do with it.
0: Oh, I see. I see and that would be like uh you know every node it would see like okay turn left go turn right turn left turn right and then eventually you arrive at the destination and and then the end user sees the hello world uh yeah. text message basically um and now you mentioned that this this source routing uh is a little bit you, not used that much now what what's your opinion on it now
1: so right now so basically it got, there was research around it in the early 90s but right. it didn't go that far because routers just started to get really fast and Mm. the because prefix lookups so prefix lookups that's the thing of figuring out what direction to take at each hop along the path um that the prefix lookups just like because chips got so much faster so quickly um they didn't really need source routing and they didn't have this ability to turn the route around backwards and send it back to where it came from so without having that technology and the 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 additional complexity of source routing it just wasn't worth it it was easier to do the prefix lookup at each hop along the path and then you know they used bgp and that worked but the problem is that this doesn't totally scale as i mean it doesn't scale as well as source routing does i mean if you do source routing you can have a, a what what we know call a switch and the switch can just switch traffic as fast as you know as fast as as the the lines can carry that traffic you can basically switch it because you're not really doing anything in that switch you're just looking at the back and saying where do you want to go and then sending it the way that it says to go um however there are there's another issue with this and that's uh denial of service attacks because you can attack a source routed network by t- Tell, sending a packet and telling that packet you should go around and around and around in a circle and then you're able to amplify a denial of service attack but that's a problem of setting up good quality of service and um the traffic uh, balancing throttling and that's something else that the internet doesn't do and pays dearly for it so the the fact is like because, you know, people said, okay, that's a problem with source routing, but it's also a problem with the internet as it is today. And denial of service is a huge issue and it actually pushes everybody onto centralized platforms because if you're not on a major, uh, company like Amazon or whatever, then you risk to have your website shut down by, by uh, botnet attacking you. So these are the things that we're working to solve.
0: Yeah yeah TCP IP acts as a as a almost like a focal point it's like inherent part of the the protocol where you you can you can take over a botnet and and thank you network for helping us destroy the competitor um yeah, yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if it is in fact facebook or twitter that are actually ddosing the competitors
1: <laughs> well i mean that's that's always the old conspiracy theory yeah that yeah it, yeah uh, you know <laughs> that the the anti-DDoS companies and oh yeah we'll we'll take care of you and but you know it would be a shame if something were to happen to your nice website kind
0: of <laughs> yeah like the antivirus companies yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course so um the okay so but when I went to the cjdns uh repository I noticed that it's all uh, most of it is assembly good god man what's the story <laughs> there
1: um <laughs> The reason for that is because it's based on uh the NACL uh encryption library and mm. we just embedded the library and just took the took vendored the code, dropped it into the code base because that way we get full control over mm. um versioning, nothing nothing yeah. no surprises. So yeah, we, we that assembly is there, but it's because of copy paste.
0: <laughs> yeah, my ma- my mate took one look at it and he's like these guys have just vended NACL, just straight up vended it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and at the time, so, you know, and people, people kind of criticize that. You're like, why are you not using live sodium? Well, guess what? Live sodium didn't exist when CJDNS started. Sure. So hmm. uh, there were a lot of things that didn't exist when we got started. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of you need to evaluate the decisions that were made in the context of the time when they were made because a lot yeah. of things – didn't exist that do now. And actually, we're, we're working toward uh, rewriting a lot of parts of this code into Rust because oh, yeah. that gives us a lot more. Um, it gets, makes me able to sleep at night because we don't have the memory corruption issues and the the attacks that you have when you're in a non-memory safe language.
0: Exactly the same decision for, for my choice of language, too. It's like, yeah, I don't know why people would choose to use C. Or C nowadays. If it's a fresh project like that, it's like okay, let's look for the foot guns, man. Let's just bring those foot guns back, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and are you going to? So are you going to be re-implementing uh, CJDNS again uh, using the source routing approach? Or, oh yeah. I mean, or, or had source you got, routing
1: is it's it's in CJDNS now. I mean, the the custom. The, I mean the
0: rust the rust the new rust implementation. Ah,
1: um. It will be ported to Rust a bit at a time. Like we're not uh, we're we're not trying to pause all development until it's all in Rust. That's but new development is happening in in Rust primarily, and um, there is we're heading in the direction of a lot of new development, and that's because of Packet, which is all about creating bandwidth leases. And the bandwidth leases is where we bring the QoS and the uh, the load balancing back into the mix.
0: So, so packet is PKT, uh, packet net, or what is it? What is it? What's this project name and go into that.
1: Yeah, PKT.cash is uh, the website. And okay. um, even more fun is PKT.chat where you can hang out with us and talk <laughs> about it. Um, but uh, the idea of Packet is, you know, we built CJDNS, but uh, networks that can't pay for themselves will forever be hobby projects. That's, you know, it, and it's a lot of fun to do hobby projects, but at some point, you know, we, we really did answer a lot of the questions that we had with uh, how CJDNS should be designed, how it should work. And once we, once we, felt like you know we had the answers then we could go toward a more industrialization phase and this all um happened at the same time as the lightning network on uh the the bitcoin lightning network got kind of off the ground and lightning network is really the only thing that scales to the the size that we need to go in terms of being able to transact so that's when we, you know, we we decided to get back into it, um, and we kicked off the packet project as a way to take this technology to the industrialization phase. So there were a couple things that changed along the way too, and um, one of them is that we initially used fully decentralized routing with uh, DHT, and we migrated. You know, we learned a lot about DHT routing. Um, but we, we ended up migrating to a semi-centralized system of basically super nodes. And the concept of a super node or what we call a route server is that you delegate, you delegate your your routing decisions to somebody who knows what they're doing. And- They have an
0: overview of the network.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you, and, and they also know what they're doing in terms of their technical, it's, it's a person running that device, wow, running that see. machine, and they can make informed decisions. And um, because when you're just doing like an overlay network and you're just having fun, it's okay if that network stops working. But it's not okay if you have, if you're using this for your primary internet connection and it stops working, you need somebody to call. And that was one of our lasting problems with this decentralized routing is number one you need somebody to call and number two the person who you call needs to be able to get in the mix and fix things and when we had this fully decentralized routing i mean you might call somebody but they're just going to say ah it's the dht and that's not (laughs) an answer you know when when you're paying money for your real internet that you need in order to you know right now with the coronavirus and everything you need it to get to work and we can't have not being able to 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 call somebody and have them fix it so we switched from this fully decentralized system to what I call choice of kings central uh, uh choice of kings decentralization and choice of kings means you have you can choose what kingdom you're going to be part of and you delegate that that authority to somebody and but you choose who who that somebody is so you don't have this political centralization that uh get that causes us a bad rap for centralization but you still have somebody that you can call and and get the thing fixed so that's where we're going is to this world where it's a bit like a dns lookup so for people who uh don't know dns when you type into your your browser you know Jitsi or whatever um that name needs to be looked up and converted to an IP address, know, in, in order to be sent over the internet. And the concept here is that we're not going to just convert it to an IP address; we're going to convert it to the route to get there. So, you know, oh wait, we don't...
0: you just blew my mind there. Um, oh, <laughs> oh shit. Um, okay, uh, yeah, I've just got like a. Um, okay, how do I even start? Okay, I'll let you continue talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: I mean, IP addresses are not really useful for a human. Humans use names. We don't use IP addresses. And they're not really useful for routing either. For computers don't really want IP addresses. What they want is the directions to get there. They want the route. So
0: so what does it look idea, like then? What, is it, what, what, is that, what does the conversion look like?
1: Um. Well, you're making a request to uh, what we call a route server. And okay. uh, that server is, you can send it uh, a request for an IP address or a request for a name. And then it can convert that name into uh, the path that you need to get from source to destination. So and, 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 and the path server- would
0: be from IP address to IP address?
1: Uh, no, it, it's, it's basically saying take a left and take a right. Uh, early source routing used, it, it okay. was every IP address in a list. And that made the, the, the route very big because IP yeah. addresses are big. But, uh, if you're just saying, you know, take the next fourth interface and then take the third interface and then take the second interface, then it's very small and, and that's part of the compact source routing CJDNS.
0: So, uh, so each node would have okay. Let's let, for a moment. Let's imagine we have a graph in front of us, and and there are five nodes, um, and they're connected one, two, three, four, five. Um, you, the objective is to get from node one to node five, um, and as a result, you say, okay, I want CJD, and then what will happen is that you will have a, a series of four ones. Yeah, that basically. Would because because each node each node has only got one edge right that's correct okay so what? now if two. you were to, oh uh, oh sorry yeah two nodes yeah two edges sorry two edges and if you were to introduce a um, an offshoot on each one of those things then depending on which one so that means that means this network is also kind of stateful um right because you can change the interfaces i can i you know maybe i've got a a laser interface over here and then it goes down um or i or i choose to set up something else on another on another interface and then therefore that information would need to be communicated to the third party the routing server
1: yep yep and that's that's how it works um when your your nodes are uh constantly sending messages every 30 seconds or every minute they're sending yep. a message to their route server so the and that message is signed and it's it's signed using that node's key which is its identity and that message it has, it's got a timestamp, and it says what all of the connections and interfaces are and it also says link state and then the route servers are able to communicate those messages amongst one another and the 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 logic here is that route servers are going to be in data centers, and data centers have really fat pipes between one another. So the, uh, the the people running these route servers are not going to have much trouble getting all of this link state information from one to the other. Whereas it would be much more uh, difficult to, to to flood it out over the whole net, uh, network. Now, this will not scale at some point because we're you know, we're doing link state updates on the entire internet. That's not going to work eventually. But at some point, route servers are going to be able to say, I'm interested in these links and I'm not interested in those. And so you tell me about these ones, but not those ones. And we'll okay, be good. Okay, so it's
0: hierarchical then. At that point, you introduce the concept of hierarchy into, into your routing. Is that correct?
1: We will. Basically, we will. But we, we can do it without changing the network itself, that will be a change made in the route servers and the, what we call cloud ISPs, the companies. So to get a little bit into how packet evolves with this, we have this concept of cloud ISP, which is basically it's a tech company um, and it, it's a service company. It doesn't own any infrastructure of its own. And that that's very important because we're separating, so the concept of packet, the fundamental concept, we're decoupling the role of infrastructure operator, so the person who runs the fiber, puts up the antenna, etc., from the role of network operator, the person who invoices, the person who uh, allocates IP addresses and and uh, handles where the traffic goes in that network. So by we're decoupling those two roles, but keeping them both existing. Those are both roles that are very important in an ISP, but by decoupling them we allow a lot more competition because you or I or anybody can just put an antenna on a roof and that that's we're off to the races we don't need to be involved in billing and customer service and abuse handling or reports we've got basically it's a VPN company you know VPN on steroids you might call it but it's a cloud ISP and it gets you on the internet via the mesh network so Anyway, that was a little digression into what we're doing with packet, but that gives you an understanding of how the route server is, um, we'll need to upgrade the software of the route server, but that's a pure software upgrade that's gonna be made by companies and we don't need to upgrade all the hardware of the network.
0: Oh, I understand, I understand, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. yeah, lots of information there. Um, <laughs> yes. no, 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 no. I love this. I love this area. This do, this domain is of keen interest to me. So, so I, I'm very curious to know, like uh, as much as I can about uh, about the operation, uh, how you how you wish to go about, you know, the the the, the, the end vision, so so to say. Talking yeah. about the end vision, what is the vision?
1: Um, I mean, I think the vision is that we don't really we should not need to have. Big centralized ISPs charging us lots of money for internet access and uh, limiting our, you know, speech and these types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we should have you should be able to have your own internet. And if you're the if you're a tech enthusiast in your local community. Maybe you bring in the fiber to that community. You put an antenna on your roof, and you're now serving internet to all the people around you. And this might not happen so fast in places like Europe and America and Asia. Well, America probably will because uh, internet there is pretty bad. But um, think about places like uh, rural areas in South America, the Philippines, uh, the yeah.
0: Philippines, the islands of the in the Philippines. It's it's well yeah it's pretty rough out there
1: yeah yeah i I mean i i would spend some time in guatemala and there were people just running uh wi-fi long shots to get internet from one place to another because (laughs) the quality of the cable internet is just not that great so you know you, you get into these other places you know this is about getting the next billion people on the internet and you know, it's it's great to provide a better service to the people who uh, have it now, but it's even greater to provide any kind of service at all to the people who don't. Um, is I gonna say the um, no, the uh, the oh so um you know in Guatemala uh, Uber was a huge thing uh, because you had um before before that you had the these little tuk-tuk cars and uh they're basically a modified motorcycle with uh two wheels in the back and um they would charge you know like um f- uh, 20 katsali to take you across town and uh this was maybe like um I'm, I'm trying to remember I think it was around like five dollars um but then Uber came into that, that community and these people were driving. This was more amateur people and they were driving around for like 250 uh, in a nice car with air conditioning. And, and the, so the quality just shot up and because there was this, uh, aspect of reputation and, and so on the, uh, the, the, this, just having this tech company from Silicon Valley to organize people in these communities provided a much higher quality of service. Now that's kind of what we're trying to do with packet, but we don't want to have this one monopoly the way Uber is where everybody just uses the Uber app and the Uber controls everything. What we're trying to do is have a decentralized system where there are multiple Ubers and these multiple Ubers are buying the bandwidth leases from the people who are uh, running from the infrastructure the data centers.
0: from the data centers, right?
1: Uh, yes. And individuals, people, okay. people, anybody yeah. who wants to put an antenna on their roof, point a long shot, oh. whatever, mm-hmm. uh, run a fiber into that community, because that's, you know, that's where you get internet into a community is using, you know, it's, you gotta be somebody that lives there typically, or, you know, somebody has to come in with a truck, but that's, that's expensive. And that's where, you have all this friction and just having somebody who lives there do it, that's that's much cheaper and easier. So that's what we're trying to do. But instead of having this one company, the way Uber works, we're, we're looking to do a decentralized bandwidth marketplace. And the concept of decentralized bandwidth marketplace is that you put this antenna up on your roof and it sits there and it just starts selling. As soon as it makes a connection, it, it says, okay, I have this much bandwidth, I'm gonna sell, future leases on that bandwidth. And so this is kind of like an NFT for bandwidth, and but it's, it's a time-limited bandwidth lease that you're then, then selling off, off into the decentralized bandwidth marketplace to be picked up by these cloud ISPs who then use it to knit together their own virtual networks that run on top of the mesh.
0: Um, okay, you need to deconstruct that. Let's go into that a little bit deeper. Um no no, I mean it's okay. Yeah.
1: I've had a lot it, of time to think about this. So No, no but the, yeah, but this is exact. Detail.
0: No, but this <laughs> is the exact thing. It's like sometimes you, you as as the founder, as the creator, you you go very deep into these things and many times you don't actually communicate them with with the okay. outside world or the people that you're socializing with have no fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> but um Whereas, whereas, uh, I, I like the subject. Now, okay. So can you uh, can you unpack that a little bit more? Can you can you go into more detail about what you mean about that? Uh,
1: yeah. So let me let me try to just, just give you a scenario. You know, yeah. you you go and you put an antenna. Uh, let's let's say that you're you have an internet connection. You know, yeah. you you bought a business internet connection that you're allowed to do anything with that internet connection. All right, great. You're paying the nose for it um so you're gonna put a wi-fi antenna that your neighbors are able to access that internet and instead of just letting people connect to your internet like with a captive portal or they just enter uh, you know telling your neighbors the password and asking them to chip in to help pay for that you just put that antenna and you're done that's all you do and that antenna that that goes into the bandwidth marketplace and it just starts selling bandwidth. But you're not selling, so you're making packet, you're making cryptocurrency for your bandwidth, for your excess bandwidth. And But you're not selling it to your neighbors. You know, we're not expecting grandma to be managing a crypto wallet in order to just get on the network. That's too much friction. You know, maybe she wants to. You know, there are cool grandmas that are into cryptocurrency, figuring out stuff, but we don't <laughs> <mom>. want to. <laughs> We yeah we, uh, we don't want to expect that out of everybody you know we want to make it something that anybody can just get into. So what your device is actually selling where where your device is actually selling that internet is to cloud ISPs. They're bidding on that those bandwidth leases on that device and it might be a bidding very low price, but they're able to grab those up and then once they have it, then they're able to provide internet access to your neighbor to so their
0: route requests for for that for so they, they say okay i will i will control this and that means they, i will accept i will send and receive data to this this block uh, i have now have an agreement with all the other cloud isps that you guys don't fuck with this little area i own it uh, for the for a limited amount of time
1: yeah yeah and okay. uh is that your, right? your device okay. is going to be enforcing that so they're 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 able to send a request to your device saying, hey, I'm here, you need to please configure. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. your device is gonna say, okay, there's the configuration. And uh, you know, you've got multiple cloud ISPs having this sort of residency inside of your router that are able to do limited configuration of that routing device. And you, the owner of the router, you don't need to do anything, you just put it up. And as long as it keeps working and functioning, you keep making packet with that device.
0: So now, say say I'm a nef- nefarious uh, 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 owner of this antenna, and I assume that uh, the source code that I'm running would be open. Yeah. Okay. Now, surely I could go into that code and and fiddle with it, so that I can say, okay, um, you know, just one cloud ISP just ain't enough for me. You know, I'm a promiscuous router. <laughs>
1: Right, right, right. So um, I I got many
0: partners.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So normally, you're probably going to have a lot anyway. Like that's that's accepted that you you can break up your, your bandwidth into 10 slices or whatever. And then you can sell those 10 slices to 10 different ISPs, cloud ISPs. But where I think that you're getting at is what if you say, Ah, I have a gigabit of bandwidth, even though you don't, Uh, or you set set up a a router and it has all this bandwidth and then you turn it off. Um, And, you know, you you do, you sell all the tokens to all the uh, cloud ISPs and then you turn the router off. And that's something we can't really solve. You know, that's a, that's just a fundamental problem of, you know, if you're selling a future of something and then you don't deliver, but... We don't, need to, we don't need to solve that from a technical perspective. All we need to do is uh, do a little bit of reputation. You know, it's a, it's a market, there's reputation. You, I've been running that thing for a long time that you're going to command better uh, prices. Where, But also, if you don't have the reputation, then a cloud ISP that believes in you early on, you know, they can just grab up all of those bandwidth leases at a lower price. So... By, by making it very human, you know, th- this is the, the old thing. It's like when we have financial markets, they actually work really well. We do like energy trading, yeah. uh, we trade everything. And financial markets are one, one of the things that we've gotten kind of more or less right. And we'd be foolish to try to change this and do something different with it the thing that we know and that's that's a bit my criticism of a lot of other incentivized mesh projects is that you know maybe that you're you're setting up a system where your neighbor connects and then they send you a micro penny every time that they whatever um number one your neighbor has to have a, a crypto wallet in order to do that but number two is that you know let's let's just use two things that we already know work one of them is network operators you know just take the network operator, put them in a cloud ISP so they could continue to operate the network, but they're not owning the infrastructure as a monopoly. And the other thing is financial markets. You know, we don't know what the value is of the bandwidth between uh, my house and my neighbor's house. Let's let a financial market figure that out for us.
0: Mm, okay, this is nice. I, I love this. I, I love this idea. I've had very similar thoughts along the way. Uh, now, okay, so you've broke essentially you have three entities. You've got the network operator, which are which are the guys running around with the antenna and whatnot. Then you've got your cloud ISPs, which would be the network operator, then also you've got the exchange operator, or the, the financial market operator. Is that correct?
1: Um, so you've got the infrastructure operator, and that's that's the guy with the antenna. Uh, okay. So that's sure. in terminology. Your local-
0: Got yeah, they get the yeah, terminology, yeah. right? <laughs> infrastructure in, operator.
1: Yeah, in your local, in your local community. Yeah. And then you've got the cloud ISP and that's, that's uh, some, some wizard in uh, Silicon Valley or wherever. You know, it's a startup, it's a, it's a tech company. They don't own any infrastructure. They're kind of doing what Uber is doing, but there's a lot of them, so it's competitive. And, then, and people can choose whichever one they want in order to get them on the network.
0: Hang about, stop, careful. Uh, so are you saying they're doing what Uber is doing as is, as in a, 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 a user facing application, any application?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're gonna be the ones making or white labeling the software that's gonna run on your phone, and uh on your okay. computer in order to get you on the network you know you're good. they're going to be your point of contact you know and if anything goes oh, wrong okay. those are the ones you're talking to okay. think about it like um you know you, you've got a, a a phone plan with sim card and you go yeah. into another country and you're roaming and mm-hmm. when you're roaming your isp or your your phone company is paying the local phone company some money
0: right. for
1: you to use that network it's yeah. the same concept. It's just that the phone company, the one that it, you ha- that gives you your SIM card, doesn't own any actual infrastructure, and mm-hmm. everybody's always roaming all the time.
0: Right, 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 right. Okay. And then there's the third party, which would be the exchange operator.
1: Uh, we don't or, need. We're not. We're not trying to make exchanges here. I
0: mean, I mean, it's we a financial market, right? I mean, you you have to you have to place bids and orders somewhere. Yeah.
1: Uh, no we can do that fully decentralized and that's that's a key aspect of this yeah i mean the dex stuff has just been starting to get off the ground decentralized exchanges but um most dexes are semi-centralized and we can what we're calling the decentralized bandwidth marketplace is fully decentralized just as um people trading uh pokemon cards under a tree is fully decentralized um the way that decentralized marketplace can work is based on a a part of the lightning network uh well yeah it's it's used in the lightning network called a uh, hash time lock contract H T L C. yeah exactly and i mean for people who don't know what it is i mean if you know databases it's a two-stage commit you basically pre-commit to doing something and then you say if you, take, you uh, have the hash of a secret and you say, this is the hash. If the secret's revealed, I will pay you one Bitcoin. And you say, if the secret is revealed, I will pay you a uh, hundred Monero, whatever. And then uh, actually Monero doesn't work on, with HTLCs because it's a different uh, chain, but you, you get the idea. Um, and then once those two pre-commits are done, then we reveal the secret. And that causes both of those transactions to trigger and... Um, there's no way out of it then for either party. So having that functionality of a, a trustless uh, transaction means that we don't really need a centralized exchange in any capacity. And that, I mean, that's where we're going. You're just gonna oh, there's, trade the wallet.
0: Yeah, there's also one aspect to the hash time lock contract is that if the, if, the, if the initial condition is not met, then after a certain time period has expired, then you get your Bitcoin back
1: exactly so if the yes. secret doesn't get revealed then all of the our our money goes back to us and that that transaction just fails
0: all uh, right okay 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 now um wow there's there's still much there's still quite a lot to unpack here you've thought a lot about this i can tell
1: I've That's had a, a lot. lot of time to think about it yeah I mean and I also got to watch a lot of other projects and and how they approached the problem and I could see you know what worked and what didn't work and um so what I mean, have you think, learned well I mean I learned that decentralized routing doesn't really work because you don't have somebody to call to fix the problem and I also learned that um any kind of system which requires everybody to get on a crypto wallet is not really going to work because people people adopt things at different paces and the if if you're trying to and also really anything that um, allows a person to potentially uh, lose a lot of money you know this was one of the problems with these these decentralized um uh, incentivized meshnet projects was that like you could potentially you know watch a whole bunch of movies, and then all of a sudden, uh, you just spent your entire month's internet bill in one day. And you might not even know it, you could wipe out your wallet. And like, they could build, um, they build in technology to make that more difficult, make that harder. But at the end of the day, not having just this one one company that you just pay your regular twenty bucks a month for and make it their problem, it makes it very difficult for an ordinary person to adopt.
0: Okay, so you've so the main the main sort of lessons are like you know rubber meets the road kind of thing, the actual adoption uh, issues uh, in in the sense that. So in your system, you, you, you're talking about you're talking about an exchange where I mean not an exchange, where a marketplace basically where people can the infrastructure can sell their stuff. And how do they get paid then? You said there's no I mean, there's no crypto wallet associated with it, right?
1: Oh, okay. So I mean, if you're operating infrastructure, you know, you're one of the people. You put the antenna on your roof. You're going to be earning packet with that antenna. So you know that that thing will have a wallet, and and you will be making income as packet and then okay
0: so it will have a a crypto wallet with it right but just now you said one of the lessons that you learned was that you know people won't
1: people have crypto wallets the difference here is that you've got a crypto wallet but you're just earning with that wallet and so it's a lot easier to deal with something where you just you're just earning those coins and you can you can trade them away sell them do whatever but we don't have a situation where number one, you don't, you don't expect somebody, you know, if somebody knows how to put an antenna on the roof, then figuring out how to earn their remuneration for that with a crypto wallet is not a big ask, but for okay. somebody who just is trying to figure out their iPhone, that then asking them to have a crypto wallet, that is a big ask. So that's the difference here is that an individual, an ordinary user who doesn't run any infrastructure like, we want that to be as smooth as possible for them. But once you get to the point where you're, you're putting up your own infrastructure, it it can be a little bit harder. But remember, we're not asking them to spend any cryptocurrency, they're never having to spend. And so the complexity of did you spend your entire month budget in an hour, or uh, how many micro pennies did that packet cost? Or how much how much did it cost to to have that video call and that all of that stuff just goes away because you're never having to pay with cryptocurrency you're just receiving it
0: okay 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 so 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 that would be the the infrastructure operator who would be receiving it right exactly and now that you, then you get your end users uh that's me a dumbass guy who knows nothing about uh technology Ah, oh, dumbass i mean i'm yes i'm dumbass yeah. and and, uh, and no I,
1: I believe you'll be the infrastructure <laughs> operator but we, we can go with it we can go with it
0: <laughs> so okay so, no but in this in this in this sense now i don't know much about the technology um i'm going to uh, and you're the net infrastructure i'm going to contact you and say i want a contract i will get regular standard internet
1: uh yeah, yeah. IP so internet okay
0: so this is this is kind of like a this is you, you're basically it's like a vpn
1: exactly so you're gonna make the contract with the cloud isp that's that's your point of ah, contact there sorry so you're going you're going to download the app from the cloud isp and then the, the app you're going to open up the map and it's going to show you oh yeah you're, you your neighbor here your neighbor here you've got all this all this wi-fi and you're just going to be able to connect to any one of those you know uh it's a bit like um I don't know people who know Comcast, Xfinity. There's different uh, different things like this, but they're all they're all um, siloed into the different companies, and right. that's a bit what we're doing. But you know anybody can do it. It's it's completely open. It's uh, it's fully decentralized.
0: Okay, okay. And now when I pay the the ISP cloud ISP p- people, I will use. Anything, any whatever they want that
1: you and they agree on. So any way that so they're going to offer you all kinds of cool offers. You know, maybe there'll be a free deal, a free tier, and free uh, is actually a really important part of this because the internet as it exists today, most of the internet goes unused. It just sits idle, Uh, and the reason is because they have to over provision because if those links go become full, then it's just going to be a disaster uh because there's no quality of service no throttling no bandwidth control and the way that uh because we're designing in this priority prioritization of traffic the we're able to say everybody can connect and it can be free as long as nobody else wants to use it so the bandwidth is sort of an ongoing auction all the time because you don't if uh you know this is just this is just a political opinion of of us is that we that you shouldn't throw something away if somebody can make use of it it's a bit like uh, the grocery store is throwing away the food that they could actually give to the homeless just because it's expired and uh you know that's what the internet does every day is throws away bandwidth and it's because they're not able to give access to bandwidth only if it's a spare they can only give access they either give access and then you might run over their limits or they don't give access and so you've got a lot of cases where uh especially in a data center you're buying uh you're buying internet from one of these internet companies and they're giving you like only a 100 megabit connection all their technology is running 10 gigabit but they can only give you a 100 megabit connection because they're they're figuring out that based on all of the connections that they've given to all of their customers and they have this much traffic uh, available in their backbone they're only able to give you 100 megabit for that price and uh we can we can just get around that we can say everybody can have 10 gigabit everybody can have 100 gigabit whatever the technology is if if, uh, we're running you know fast if everything's based on 10 gigabit let's give everybody 10 gigabit Mm -hmm. but you have to bid for access to the actual, the, to actually get that traffic from point A to point B.
0: Hmm, I see. I see. Okay. Now the uh, creation of these. Uh, yeah. Uh, now the creation of these uh, of these uh tokens. Right. Who forges them, or who? Uh, what's the story there?
1: So you're talking about Packet or you're talking yeah, packets, about bandwidth packet. leases? Okay, so Packet oh, okay. is a it's a blockchain. It's uh it's based on Bitcoin code base. So But this is what
0: the infrastructure people would be paid in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um it's it's based on the Bitcoin code base, so it's fully decentralized, there's no pre-mine, there's none of that uh, that kind of shenanigans, it's not an Ethereum token, there's no 30 percent given to the founders kind of stuff um and, and you know it's important because you know you've got a it lot is. of projects and it is it is something that you've got to look for um so it's the differences between packet and Bitcoin it has a uh, a faster block and a faster issuance decay um it's a one minute block and uh there's six billion that will be mined total and um 20% of the coins, is goes to what we call the network steward. And this is really important to understand because it's a little bit like a founder's fee, but it's not. Um, you know, a founder's fee is, you know, where every, every block, a uh, certain percentage goes to the founder. But with the network steward, the network steward is an address that is receiving these 20% uh, of every block. But that address can be changed by way of a proof of stake vote and so we established the network steward as an entity that needs to it it has to work for the benefit of the network and there's another rule that's in the consensus rules is that any coins that are allocated to the network steward that is not spent within about 90 days you know it's it's denominated in blocks but it's 90 days um, those coins will burn they just stop being usable ever and so, already about uh, 300 million coins have burned out of a total of six billion that will ever exist because the network steward wasn't able to allocate them to projects uh, quickly enough. So, projects—that's—that's that's getting a little bit into how the current network steward works. Um, the current network steward, as which it's a five—it's uh, a five-person multisig address, and I'm one of the people. Um, but it has a a charter. And the charter is that all of the coins will be spent for, um, for helping benefit the growth of the network as a whole. So it's very important that uh, we we have we have five, uh, five different points that we use to evaluate projects, people in the community propose projects to the network steward, we do calls. And there's so there's a call for projects, and we'll open that call. And then about you know, two weeks to a month, we'll we'll set a deadline two weeks to a month later. And then people have to propose projects. And then we will evaluate those, we put a budget when we do the call, when then we evaluate those projects against each other, and then try to fill out that budget with the cheapest, best projects. However, there are projects that will never be accepted, no matter how, uh, no matter, we will burn the coins before we accept those projects. And those are projects which unfairly benefit participants of the network over others and you know we're huge sticklers about this and this this very much limits what the network steward can do because for example um one of the things is about listing you know a lot of people talk about you know we want to get on exchange we want to get an exchange the problem with getting with using these public funds to get on exchange is it's like who why should we give those funds to that exchange instead of another exchange and it it ends up being something that we can't evaluate that that person's not making a profit and that we're not giving a handout you know it's not that it's not nepotism so typically the network store just only funds people building up open source software because if you say i'm going to build this software this is the results that i'm going to have this is the number of person months it's going to take and this the price that I want for it, then the network steward can say, yeah, you're not really making a profit on this. Um, we we can validate that this is a fair thing. And so therefore we can fund that. And so most of the technology that's been built to date has been funded by the network steward. And we have this super ambitious roadmap and the roadmap, I mean, the network steward is going to be looking to fund additional projects, uh, in order to build out that roadmap. So there's that, and we can talk about that more. And the other thing is the bandwidth hard proof of work, which we can talk about that too. You know, there's, there's all these...
0: Uh, yes, aspects. I want to talk about these things, yes. So so yeah. so um so the bandwidth, the, what the bandwidth what?
1: Bandwidth hard proof of work. So, you know, the oldest proof of work... Is this a consensus a, algorithm? It's a proof of work algorithm. So it's like... Uh-huh. Uh, sha 256 you know the old proof of work was double sha 256 of satoshi um then you know that was Bitcoin then you had Litecoin which is s Crypt. it's a like a memory hard proof of work you needed memory uh you don't technically need memory you could do it all with CPU but there's a CPU memory trade-off so if you have memory it's a lot more efficient and then Uh, You know, there was lots of other proofs of work, different things. Ethereum uses this uh, ETH hash, which uses lots of memory. Again, it's not proof that you have the memory because you could do that with just CPU. But it's memory hard because there's a trade-off where you can save a lot of CPU by allocating a little extra memory. And in the case of Packet Crypt, Packet Crypt is the proof of work of Packet, the, the 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 proof of work basically works. It's more efficient if everybody mines together. And if you mine collaboratively with all the other miners, then yeah, you expend much less CPU work. However, it's a real proof of work algorithm. So um, there's a lot of projects out there, especially you know, the Ethereum tokens, these types of things. And we need to remind people that proof of, x typically is not a proof of work algorithm there there's a lot of projects where they say proof of something proof of coverage proof of blah 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 blah. typically what they're doing is it's basically a token that's issued with a faucet and it, it's you know you know the old bitcoin faucet where you had to do the type in the <laughs> captcha and then we give you like a micro bitcoin or whatever basically you've got tokens that are issued with these types of faucets and you so you prove that you have something and then the faucet gives you a token the problem with these faucets is that me looking back on they say the thing was issued in 2015 i'm looking back okay was that thing issued fairly in the case of bitcoin the case of litecoin i can look back and i can say yeah it was issued fairly because the person who did who got those bitcoins did work for them. They 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 made the most effort out of anybody. the The work was real. We don't know who did the work, but we know the work was real. And the case of proof of x kind of algorithms, you look back on it, it was like, well, did the person really solve the captcha, or did they know the answer to the captcha before? You know, was it the founder who controlled mm. the captcha machine and then just made that they just made their own bot that answered the captchas because they knew the answer and you don't know that that's the problem. So proof of something, it's not really proof. Unfortunately, it's not proof of fair issuance. And so, uh, with packet crypt, it is a proof of work and it's, so we have provably fair issuance. You can go back to block one, and you can see that the work was done. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of these other things you can't. So, how does packet work? You know, I think that's that's what the audience wants to hear. Basically, uh, as well as I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, basically, there's these two stages to mining. Uh, first, you mine what are known as announcements, and these are this is you do CPU work, and the type of work that you do is basically the same as encrypting packets. Um, somebody described it as you encrypt data and send it to the other node. And that's pretty close. It's pretty much what you're doing. You're encrypting data, um, and the point of this encrypting is that anybody who builds an efficient PacketCrypt miner is going to also be building efficient CJDNS router. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the idea. We wanted to reuse the the R and D that goes into building PacketCrypt to build an efficient VPN CJDNS router. So that that's the first stage you create these announcements and they're one kilobyte messages. They're designed to fit nicely in one packet. And then you send the announcements to somebody who mines blocks and that's the mining of the blocks is where the actual meat and potatoes happens.
0: Forgive me. What does the announcement announce?
1: Basically nothing. It's basically, it's, it's basically garbage. Um, there is a small payload that you can, you can add to it. So you can use it to flag that some event has happened. Uh, there is about 40 bytes that you can use for your own purposes. But the majority of this uh, one kilobyte, 1,024 bytes is, um, it's garbage that you cannot not send. And the reason why it needs to be like that is because otherwise you would basically just tell the other guy, it's kind of like this. And then they would be able to reconstruct it. So we can't do that.
0: But aren't you also doing a dual purpose of lubricating the entire network then?
1: Yeah, yeah, this point Uh, because so so there is a
0: very good purpose for that.
1: Multiple purposes of R and D going into tech dev on VPN and and encryption and CGDNS, plus um, making that if you if you install, do you think about all the uh, all the dusty bitcoin equipment that is no longer efficient for mining you know it's just sitting there collecting dust you know you you see if you see some of these mining videos where they're they're showing off their their mining uh setup and then you've got over the corner there's all the dusty machines that no, are there's no the longer efficient. yeah yeah <laughs> well,
0: i've got one corpse underneath my bed <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the is with with uh, packet crypt is if you're mining, you're running fiber to be able to mine more efficiently with more bandwidth and that yeah. fiber is still useful after you're done with mining, the fiber is still going to be usable for other purposes, if that's your internet. So um, we're incentivizing people to build out the network in order to mine and then that's going to be able to be reused for uh selling internet to their neighbors for instance and so on and so forth um so these announcements that they're they're mostly mostly garbage data that you must send and you can't really compress and it's it's very difficult to do anything other than use that bandwidth to send that data Um, they get sent to what are known as block miners typically you've got uh mining pools we've got uh three three major mining pools right now in the in the network and you can send the same announcements to all the pools uh, and you'll and each pool will pay you for those and then the pools send them to their block miners and every block miner needs as many announcements as they can get and what they do is they they do basically the same thing again they do encryption uh, and they do memory lookups and they access those announcements they they're doing accessing of announcements in memory and encrypting and accessing and encrypting in order to find a hash that is uh, a match. And the more announcements they have- They're
0: not the encrypting, they're easier. hashing then.
1: Oh, Cryptographic hashing. The operation that they're doing is actually encryption, but there's a hash at the end. So the, the oh. actual work is encryption. And, and the reason why we make it be encryption is so that anybody who builds an efficient packet crypt miner is going to have already built an efficient VPN encryption hardware, software, whatever. <laughs> we wanted to recapture that value as many times as possible. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. So, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you want to you want to make sure that there's a CPU there. You want to make sure that that uh, that this thing is able to run a router. God damn it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not only, uh, not only, but um, also, like, if somebody builds an ASIC for mining, it's going to be a fantastic VPN router because you know it's going to be able to do encryption at at scale, and it's also going to have bandwidth because it needs to interface with other other uh, devices.
0: That's 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 sly that's sly <laughs> thank you <laughs> i i appreciate that little nash equi- equilibrium going on there that's that's well appreciated okay um keep going keep going and then um uh, okay so so now we've got an incentivize uh for for like an asic uh router a vpn router
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> and then um keep going with the with a packet uh protocol
1: well i mean that's, oh is that it yeah i mean we we mine the blocks the the okay. the more so the the algorithm technically is your block miner work so that's the amount of hashes amount of encryptions that you do per second on the block miner multiplied mm-hmm. by the total amount of announcement miner work so if you take all the announcements that that block miner collected and we're, we're usually typically running 50 gigabytes of announcements in memory on our block miners. That's where we are now, and we're going to go a lot further than that. We're going to be into the terabytes within a year, in my opinion. Um, because, you know, look, if you're doing 10 gigabit per second of download of announcements, then, well, you're pretty well going to fill a terabyte of, da- of memory pretty quickly. So, so where's,
0: the, where's the videos then? Where's the... Where's the, Where are you routing videos and, 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 and stuff?
1: Videos? I mean, I mean hey? we're on video now.
0: <laughs> no, no. I mean, oh, is this going over the uh, CJDNS right now? Uh, no.
1: no, but oh. typically it is. But it's oh. not because uh, my CJDNS node is uh, not working right now. But um, okay. yeah, I need to get that up and running again. But uh, typically I'm on calls and it's, it's going over CJDNS uh, yeah. all the time
0: interesting okay um no no you're saying you're moving about like, you, like at the end of the year you're looking at a, a terabyte or something was it 10 terabytes or a terabyte
1: um i think that by the end of the year we will be around a terabyte of okay. memory on okay. the block miners
0: all right but but this is this is just uh, um uh, encrypting and decrypting and uh, aggregating all these announcements right you said that was right. the first type of packet that is created and then well you said there's a first type, I'm assuming that there's a second type. So, after the announcement, there would be?
1: Oh, uh, so the announcement, I mean, it just goes to the block miners. They do the, the block mining using okay. uh, thousands, millions of announcements. And then, okay. once they mine a block, they attach a fairly small statistical proof that they had those announcements in memory at that time. And that's what goes on the blockchain. It's uh, they need to include four random announcements from that group. They're not going to know which ones they have to include. And they're going to include Merkle branches to prove that those four announcements are part of uh, the are in fact that they had them at that time. So it's a statistical proof of having that those announcements in memory without actually having to include a terabyte of data on every block in the blockchain. Right,
0: right, 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 right. Okay. Now, I want to I want to ask uh, uh, just out of curiosity um, why have you chosen not to go with a layer two type scenario maybe built on like Taproot or uh, and the Schnorr cigarette signatures to to do this kind of thing I believe that maybe like a, a layer two on top of Bitcoin um, might well- be able to do this.
1: the the amount of value that we're able to extract from building our own blockchain is pretty significant. I mean, you think about it, like number one, uh, we have the network steward, Bitcoin doesn't have uh, an answer to funding the the ecosystem development. I mean, all the wallet people are they've got their hat in their hands, they're trying to figure out, you know, like, it's it's just tragic, because you got all the open source developers that are making nothing. And then you've got these guys, Developing ASIC chips, and they're making all the money. But those ASIC chips don't really do anything; they just do shot to six. It's not even any useful uh, encryption algorithm. So you know the amount of things that we're able to recapture a value that we're able to recapture the the um, bandwidth hard proof of work, and then we're able to recapture value into the ecosystem using uh, the network steward, which is funding uh, you know competitive grant making um it's it's just like it would have been it would have just taken so much longer to do this on top of bitcoin than Mm. it is to to just kick it off from the start
0: okay all right all right yeah i suppose and also yeah that's that's also one thing i've noticed about uh the bitcoin world is that you know Whereas, whereas in the manure world, you know, I believe that like if you come up with a proposal, the community will will pitch together and 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 support your project. But now in the Bitcoin world, it's quite different. You know, like I, I've not really heard or seen of of like you know the, the Bitcoin rich people going out and supporting infrastructure. I think probably because the problem that they're going to Bitcoin for, I mean, the solution that they that Bitcoin offers already solves their problem which is you know to be a a store of value and that's it don't there's no need to add anything else on top of it that's in as as far as people are thinking maybe
1: yeah i mean it's it's also it's just like based on your blockchain it defines your community and the community defines you know what what you're going to get done you know i mean monero is a wonderful project wonderful people involved in that i can't say enough good about it I mean it gets used for nefarious purposes and that's that's tragic but um i mean the the people working on it that's where that's where all the r d is happening these days you know they've got the greatest proof of work uh except packet crypt i'm gonna, I'm gonna say packet crypt is the winner but um <laughs> behind packet crypt i mean i think random x is has is gotta be uh the best uh the best proof of work out there really focusing on general purpose cpu uh that anybody can access and um you know also the the work that they're doing on on trying to protect individual privacy and liberty um great stuff uh the bitcoin community yeah i mean there there's a lot of great people in the bitcoin developer community but uh it's very hard for them to find any funding
0: yeah it's a sad state of affairs actually but i don't know Mind you, Bitcoin's done me well. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have, you know, like of all the things, Bitcoin has been the most successful for me. Like, you know, with yeah. with, with regard to funding and whatnot. I mean, just by holding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You
1: know, that's that's the, the smartest thing you can do is, is just buy it. Don't lose your keys, but forget about them,
0: please. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Uh, now you also mentioned that there was another, another, another. Um, what was it token or think I think there was two tokens right
1: so I know there's a bandwidth. funding of yeah every bandwidth lease is going to be essentially that's an NFT one. and uh you know that's something that we're going to be we're working on designing our own token protocol which we're calling token strike and that's funded by the network steward again um the idea is that you just make your own little blockchain and uh everybody has their own blockchain and you sign your blocks you're the issuer you know so and the, the logic here is that remember you're talking about running a nefarious router and uh, you know doing doing nefarious uh, like overselling or turning the router off and these kind of things um, if if we're if we if you can just turn the router off then we need to trust you and there's no way to prevent somebody from selling bandwidth and then turning the router off you know it's just it's just an intractable problem and once we understand that that's an intractable problem. We don't need to go out of our way to make the token system more secure than the ability to even uh, to even use those tokens. So making it so that every router just creates its own micro blockchain and then sells tokens on that blockchain. And it's it's just signing every block itself. You know, it's just with it's key. That's that's a working solution. We just relax the security requirements a little bit, and that makes it so that instead of having you know, these these two dollar, five dollar, whatever uh, Ethereum transaction fees, we are able to have transaction fees of nothing. You know, it's it's like it's free as an email is free.
0: Hmm. Okay. And is there some sort of a cap, a market, uh, 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 a a a coin amount, a total amount, or how does that work?
1: So when we're talking so about you said packet, it was six yeah. billion,
0: right, six billion. Right. right. And then but that's the
1: packet blockchain.
0: Oh, that's so the you packet blockchain.
1: Any token you want for any mm. purpose. Yeah. You can set the cap anywhere that you want. Okay. And that's that's all up to you.
0: Well, who would? OK.
1: Who would buy it? Well, that, yeah. that's the interesting thing, because, you know, you buy that token so that you can then turn around and say, here, I have the token. Uh, please give allow me to configure your router because I have a token worth 10% of your bandwidth for the next oh, month
0: I see and oh this is also time locked so it, it after a while it, it just extinguishes itself
1: exactly you know the this is how futures typically work you you they have a limited amount of time uh, a limited quantity you how would you be able to sell I mean, you can't sell fifty years into the future of a token. Sure, I mean,
0: sure, sure. Enron sure. No, no. did
1: that, but that's not that's <laughs> not good
0: practice. <laughs> okay, I see, I see, I see. How long has this project been going? You've been cracking at this for a while now, haven't you?
1: Well, I mean, we've been. I've been thinking about it since at least what fifteen years. But I mean, we CJDNS started ten years ago. Um, the Lightning Network wasn't there until about three years ago. Um, and then Lightning just started to become stable. And I, I was out doing, I was doing research for a company called Xwiki. I was a research manager, and I, I built a project called CryptPad, where you can, um, you can it's just like a document editor, where you can collaboratively edit documents with people, and the server doesn't know what you're typing. And uh, that's because we, uh, we encrypt everything Browser to browser, so you know real-time collaborative editing without the server's knowledge. It was the that was what I was working on that time. That project's still ongoing and doing well. And then you know about 2018, Lightning Network started to warm up and things started to be happening. You know, SegWit landed in in Bitcoin, and uh, so that you know then Lightning Network started to become a thing. And that was when it was time for me to wake the project back up. So back. 2018, you know, the conversations were being had about, okay, let's, let's, it's time to to get something together and and start building something. And then, so 2019 in August, uh, August 20th, I believe that was block one, Uh, actually August 15th was block one and August 20th was real block one because uh, there was a bug (laughs) first iteration. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, August 20th of 2019 was block one and, uh, we've, uh, you know, and then we went just headlong into coronavirus season and, uh, mm. everything got shut down immediately. But, um, you know, we've been, we've made a real comeback in, uh, late 2020, early 2021. And, uh, you know, things are now it's like, things are really beginning to, to look, uh, positive for the project.
0: And, and is this mainly in the in the sense that you're getting a lot of project applications to the steward?
1: oh um, no I mean it's, it's in in the sense that uh, the community growing there's three oh. major mining pools, there's a lot of activity, a lot of people doing things so yeah, I mean the network steward um, that's that's a a difficult thing because there aren't so many people who know how to do research. So my background is research. I, I did, I applied for projects with the European union, the French government, I've I've managed projects, uh, went to the, the project reviews. So I have a lot of, uh, well, I have, yeah, three, four years of experience, um, just being in charge of research projects. So I know what to look for. And, um, Unfortunately, a lot of people, it's, it's rare to have people who really are able to, to foster a project, you know, just computing the number of person months, you know, how much time is it gonna take? And then computing the price, and, you know, a lot of people just, they put in random numbers and then the reviewers look at that and it's not gonna work. So that's been, that's been a challenge on that side. And um, I've been reaching out to uh, funding bodies who uh, can break down funding into smaller pieces. You know, and remember, network stewards all volunteer. We can't fund the network steward directly. We can't pay these guys to evaluate projects because the way we'd have to do it would have to be through a not-for-profit organization. And it's just too complicated to do it um, and be sure that we're not just basically putting the money in our pocket you can go to the network stewards GitHub. It's a big mess, but you can go there and you can validate, and you can go on the block explorer and you can cross-check every single transaction that the network stewards ever made, and you you can see which project that what transaction was funding, and then you can trace that project back to the call when that project was accepted, and the other projects that were proposed, and why that one is, so it was accepted and the other ones were rejected. So everything is there and it's all transparent. You can audit the thing till you're blue in the face and that's how we want it to be. But um, that makes things very slow and difficult for the network stewards. So we're, we're I personally as a, you know, as a community member and talking to um, to different funding bodies that are in the, in the business of funding research because they can take a big network steward they can do a network steward project and then they can turn that around and they can break it out to 5k 10k for different developers you know 50k whatever and then f- they can manage a whole bunch of projects and they have the um they have the the administrators and they have all the all the things that are necessary so as a as a community member i'm i'm uh, thinking about you know putting in a project to the network steward which i would then uh, recuse myself as a as a voting member and um and that project would bring in one of these funding bodies so that we could have a little bit more professionalism um, we have the we have the transparency under control but we just don't scale you know five volunteers don't doesn't scale
0: yeah 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 that it, it, as as soon as that starts getting more hairy I can imagine you guys would just be like, oh, fuck, fuck this. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. it's, 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 you're not doing fun stuff anymore at that point.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, so we're trying to keep the number of projects reasonably small. And, you know, yeah. we just can't manage 30 or 50 or 100 projects. Um, yeah. And if we tried to, then there would be money going out the side door and we wouldn't be able to keep track of it so having real administrators working on this is something that is very much on my mind right now
0: mm. let's go back to the networking stuff now um, you're familiar with the narrow uh narrow waste of the networking protocol right
1: the narrow waste
0: uh, okay well yeah yeah the narrow waste which for example um if you were to look at the networking uh, this is not a very good example but if you were to look at the networking protocol as a, an hourglass infrastructure yeah. so, so, so the, imagine an hourglass right and okay. then on the top okay. side of the application of uh, the top side of the hourglass at the very top you've got your applications then you've got yeah. your you know you've got your um uh, your different uh, protocols and whatnot and then right in the middle you've got ip okay and then underneath ip you would have your different you know the different transports um, and then, and then you'd have like at the very bottom you'd have like sonnet. and then at the very bottom you'd have like you know the wire or radio frequency, etc., etc., etc. So, so you can see that like the top portion of, of the, the, the hourglass would be um, uh, what, and, and the bottom would be the how the data moves okay. essentially. So, so, so both sides of the hourglass see IP. Yeah. they need to see IP um, yeah. in order for this thing to work and and this is why um, the the narrow waste of this it really needs to be simple it needs to be simple because as soon as you add complexity into the narrow waste, everywhere in the network that sees IP needs to support every single goddamn feature. So this is why yep. to me when I see like you know IPv4, IPv6, to me it's a train smash because <laughs> it's like everybody needs to support all these different features. So now 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 you mentioned that in your networking protocol like okay, uh, I imagine it's a request response kind of thing. So I request for a name and then what happens is I can either get an IP address or I get directions to the data. Right. So there's an indirection, right?
1: Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, the IP IP is like the lingua franca of uh, networking, because everybody on the top, you have this diverse set of applications, and they all speak to IP. And then you have this diverse set of transports, and they all speak to IP. So um, if I am understanding you properly, it's really the lingua franca of uh, of the IP of the, the networking world. Correct. Uh, so CJDNS doesn't try to replace IP as lingua franca. Um, You know, the applications are going to speak IP. They're going to speak IP4. There's applications that are never going to adopt IP6. Um, I mean, they should, but they probably won't. Um, CJDNS is going to be, it needs to run on the endpoint, but it's going to be able to offer a, an IP-like experience for existing applications because, you know, it's just, it just needs to emulate, you know, it, it runs under IP and, you know, it, it uses IP6, uh, as you probably know, CGDNS uses the IP6 where the IP is the hash of your key so that you can just allocate, anybody can just have an IP address to snap your fingers, you make a key, you make an IP. Um, but, when you're getting into the VPN space, and if you want to talk to the, the regular internet, then you need to be going through a VPN, which the Cloud ISP, we're talking about running VPNs. And those are going to be issuing you an IP4 address, an IP6 address, whatever addresses, so that you're able to communicate with like Facebook until they decide to upgrade it to using CJDNS uh, natively, which they probably will. I mean, they've got a Tor exit, so it shouldn't take them that long. But um, I mean, not that Facebook is the greatest thing to connect to when you get to the internet. But you know, this is what we're this is what we're dealing with, and you got to get people where they want to go.
0: Okay, all right. Okay, so you you're doing nothing major along the lines of shifting the the narrow waist at all. Is that right?
1: No, okay. and, and that's okay. that. That was an early learning Design of CJDS, mm-hmm. You know. We, we looked at um, other projects, you know, there was I2P and Tor. Tor is pretty good because it's just a proxy and lots of things talk proxy, uh, SOX5 proxy. Um, I2P, not so easy. You really need to kind of integrate that software. Freenet, Freenet's a great, um, it was a great theory. It was, a, it was also a great, uh, great exploration to how, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was a good exploration into what happens when you give people too much uh, anonymity uh, you know because free net just got attacked and it got wiped out by um, you know terrible stuff people putting putting bad stuff onto the network and uh, it, it just caused this like decay and, and dis uh, the all, all of the developers you know they all just basically stopped working on it because they didn't want to work for for that um, and it was it was really unfortunate because Brilliant, brilliant protocol and a great idea. You know, the, the white paper, the, the the PhD thesis on it was just a brilliant uh, piece of work, and and it still is. But uh, you know, that's that's just what happens to you when you don't build in social controls on certain types of activity. Yeah. yeah but also. What I was getting at was that you know Freenet uh, required you to kind of adapt your application, and so it wasn't just it wasn't just IP, and that was one of the things that was significant. CJDNS is anything that spoke IP six spoke CJDNS, so it was very quick to adopt. And we want to keep that up.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I I I'm I'm also in the process of of writing a, a networking protocol, but I'm I'm actually shifting the 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 narrow waste. I'm shifting it. I'm shifting it to the point of a, a bloom filter, basically. So so I convert a name uh, to a bloom uh, to a bloom filter index, and then you've got a, a network uh, that all see and understand these uh, these uh, these uh, uh, bloom filter index indices, and then yeah. they would have an own sort of like each interface would have a um, the the bloom filter basically, and then you would say, ah. Oh, have I seen this data before on this interface? No, 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 no. Okay, let me flood it. And then okay. every every node would say, "Ah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I've seen this one before. I know where to route it. I know which which interface should have that. And then it just gets it gets a uh, shot on down eventually. And eventually it a node in the network might have the data and then it get it just returns along the the path that that um, the request, le- the request left a, a breadcrumb trail, basically. Yeah. So along these lines, so I, you know, it's it's still so new, and and well, wow. I I mean, it, it hasn't even been deployed yet, but I I'm kind of curious about to see how things are going. So having your experience and your knowledge, you know, like sharing it is 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 quite valuable to me. Um, Ooh. understanding these uh these uh pain points, and it seems yeah. like the main pain points are just human human related really
1: that's that's a big part of it um and so if i understand you properly your your protocol what's it called did you you give it a name
0: uh yeah i'm calling it copernica uh, Copernica. because uh it i'm shifting i'm shifting away from host-centric networking to data-centric networking Uh, or or information-centric networking yeah maybe you know about information-centric networking
1: Content networking is uh, a very old. Um, there's a lot of research on it. It's been it's been tried many times. Um, uh-huh. it, it, IPFS is the newest one. Obviously, FreeNet was uh, an effort at content uh, networking. Um,
0: content centric networking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, what's your opinion? And like, like, yeah, you drew it a, tear it apart. Tear it apart.
1: I'd love it. I'd love it to work, because it's it's really what we should do. Mm-hmm. I mean, we am I'm, I'm being, let's say cowardly here, because I'm just saying, well, let's just stick to stick to sending packets between computers. And that's it. Um, you know, that's the content centric stuff is really where we'd love to be. The problem is that there's just, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. Like who's paying to host that content? That's kind of thing. I mean, flat file Point is, is attempting to answer that where you would pay to put the content up. Um, is what about who do you call? If that content doesn't get to you fast enough, there's no, there's like, you need that. Who do you call issue? Whereas, you know, if you go to, um, a seat, uh, like Facebook or something, keep using the example, but, um, you go there and it doesn't load fast enough. Well, that's Mark Zuckerberg's problem. And that means that it's somebody else's, you know, that, that problem goes down the line, um, or it's your problem if it's your ISP. Um, but there's, there is this, who do you call answer here? And with content centric, you know, you, you risk to end up in the same situation as the DHT routing, where there are you don't have that. Who do you call? If you can answer that problem, then I mean, we're all going to be using your protocol in in 20 years anyway, because it is fundamentally superior. It's just that the the limitations of it. And I mean, I I highly recommend reading about uh, some of the next generation internet research that's been done in Europe, as well as um, obviously, you know, the experience of Freenet, experience of IPFS um, and BitTorrent. BitTorrent is another example of uh, content networking. And they work really well um, in their context, but they've also had uh, limitations which made, made it very hard to work. Now, I think that there, there's an opportunity for these things to work together. And I mean, people also talk about, like, people have asked me, why did you not make CJDNS uh, anonymous like Tor? And uh, I mean, the answer is because Tor can run on top of CJDNS. You know, all I care about is getting people unfiltered, Quality access to an encrypted network where they can communicate with other people, and let's let's just get that, and then we can run applications. We can run all different kinds of solutions on top of that. So, I mean, I think that the the content centric stuff is it's it's definitely a big deal, and it's going to become a bigger deal once we're able to identify the cost of getting data from point A to point B, because right now it's very nebulous. Um, We've got CDNs, but we have CDNs because at the backhaul level, we know what it costs to get data from point A to point B. But we're connecting to, I mean, you, you probably, you have an ISP, I have an ISP, and, you know, I have a 100 megabit uh, connection. And the ISP is basically telling me, you know, you can use whatever. You, you, we're, we're not worried about what you use or where you send it. And so that for them, they're they're telling me, that it's the same cost to get data to Hong Kong as it is to get data to Paris. I'm just outside of Paris. And that's not true. That's not the reality. And once CJ, uh, sorry, once packet network becomes a thing, we're going to know exactly the cost to get data from any given point A to point B. So the ability to do uh, local hosting of data, you know, in your local neighborhood, that type of stuff, that's going to start to be actually economical. Whereas it wasn't in the past, you know, it's just like we've all got these ISPs and they're all telling us that data to Hong Kong costs the same as data to Paris. And it's not true. And they're telling us that. So we don't really have a way to price uh, CDN.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I find the, the most difficult thing of this thing is the economics. It is fucking hard to think about. So I've just sort of re- re- resorted to sort of like, uh, would it even be a cowardly solution? But my thoughts are, well, initially, why not just let people pair with each other? You, you would provide either a Mac address or if you're on the LAN or an IP address um or or even it could just be like lasers firing at firing at each other or or radio frequency and then and then and then let let it be that way, but every single node um is running a a a, a lightning yeah. a lightning node so in that in that way one is incentivized to to um to keep your node up and running because you know it's paying you bitcoin right so uh <laughs> um and and yeah I, I and then maybe i'm shirking it but like at that point it's like let a solution evolve if you've yeah. got the basic economics in place and you've got the ability to route payments using this uh, maybe RGB, I, have to, uh, I still have to do research in RGB. You should probably yeah. check it out. And Oh yeah, I
1: mean, it's, it's in our white paper. I mean, we, we mentioned that it can be a solution. I mean, we're looking in the direction of token strike, but uh, so that's okay. our, our own, you know, make your own blockchain, build yeah. your own blockchain, bring your own blockchain um, solution. And But RGB is an alternative to that, obviously, uh, because yeah, yeah you, can, you can just create those tokens.
0: I was just introduced to it last night by Max uh, Hellebrand. And, and I, I was, okay, that sounds very interesting. I'll, I'll do some further research into it. But yeah, my, my point is that like, yeah, just offer those, those, that ability for people to sort of like, you know, make, make payments or route payments, and then they can charge a little fee for routing the payments. And that layer still occupies the same layer as the data layer, because it's all content, really, at that, at that point. It's all just data. And yeah. And then eventually maybe maybe nodes would say, OK, uh, you can peer with me, but you need to pay me a certain amount of uh, like a, 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 the equivalent of an ISP. So instead of like in my network, I don't want to have a global view of the network. I don't want to have that. I see it. I, it should be like it should like my little node should be operating under my rules. Um, I want to I want to be able to shrink an ISP down to a single node, my node. And, I, and 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 it has an immune system and i can control the immune system and i can say okay you can you and you and you compete with i compete with you, you and you and you uh, and if any of you guys start messing around i'm just going to you know disconnect from you or shut you down right. or slow you down or something like that so yeah I, I, yeah i tell you this is a really difficult domain it's mm-hmm. <laughs> but it it keeps you out of mischief you know it keeps you mulling around yeah, right. these things and
1: <laughs> yeah uh, i mean if I was there's one piece of advice that I would love give to hear it. Is, um, when you have a difficult economic problem, uh, the one thing that you might want is there's this one like uh, tool that you may wish to use is a financial market. And you just set you just make this the problem of traders to trade that uh, asset. So you might say, I don't know what uh, a gigabit of data or gigabyte of data on Caleb's computer is worth, you know, in Paris, near near all these networks in Europe, that but not near Hong Kong. And I don't know what this was worth. So I'm just going to allow that to be tokenized and then put that token out there, you know, token strike RGB, whatever, um, and then let people trade that token and then, and then redeem that token for that data. And if somebody loses the data, you know, well, that's where the reputation comes in. You know, uh, the the, um, the FilePoint people have done a lot of effort to what I would say is kind of square the circle and, and solve this algorithmically. And if they can, that's great. But it's easier to kind of just throw a financial market at it. And if you do that, it's, it's like, that market will function because we know how they work.
0: I, I firmly agree with you. And, and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a strong believer in markets. Um, they're absolutely wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, we, we would not have the society without them. So, so like I was, I was thinking along the lines, eventually people could just, um could, could just like, you know, list, list up their peering yep. connection thing. It's like, okay, I, I, I still have capacity now, and then you just stick it on some sort of uh, a, a market, and then see what people will pay for it. And in that yeah. way, your network is always evolving; it's always changing; it's adapting. So it's yeah. it's like the, the topology of the network adapts to the the markets. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. in itself can be quite beautiful, I think.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I just just didn't want to comment on about the the market because um, it they do go wrong and they're not a solution to everything. So, I, I, like, it's a tool that you need to use carefully, knowing what it can do and what it can't do, and where it will kind of blow up. Uh, because you know, like for example, um, uh, a lot of it's, it's in the U.S. It's very popular for people to just say, "I'll let the market handle it," and if the market is designed, it is is able to do that. I you mean, know, if it's organized in such a way that the market does lean toward handling it, it'll handle it. It'll be great. But if it's not, if you don't use that tool properly, you know, it's a it's a it's a powerful but dangerous tool. And if you don't use it properly, then you can end up uh, in a situation where you know people are uh, ranting that uh, free markets were a mistake and we should oh. you know, go back to communism or something like that. But you know, it's just as long as you have an understanding of what the costs and benefits and and how to use that thing safely. I think that's that's more the thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I think I might just sort of just kick that bucket down the road a little bit and just you know yeah. just get lightning up there and and then right. good enough. Thank you very much. Let's see what happens from there. Um, a lot can be done just with the with a with a you know hash time lock contract or 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 maybe even RGB, I still need to go into this. I'm, I'm thinking of um, interviewing the, the author of uh, RGB just to get an understanding of what's oh, going that on would there. Be,
1: that would be fantastic because yeah, my understanding is still cursory about it. My, what I understand from it is that you're able to create lightning um, contracts where if, you, if you're tracing a Satoshi through the network, you know, as per the Color coin model, you're able to create these lightning contracts where at any point if that contract uh executes or blows up or whatever that particular satoshi in, in accordance with your tracing process will end up in the hands of the right person so you know, that's that's super powerful if you can do it the only thing i would say is a limitation there is that you need to create that satoshi to begin with and so when you create it and also when you set up these these agreements you know you're 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 paying some transaction fees there but that's very small in comparison to you know the ability to transact i think that at the end of the day token strike will outscale it just because you know you bring your own blockchain there's nothing that scales more than a completely isolated blockchain um but i mean i i think that rgb is still a serious contender for uh the future of tokenizing uh assets
0: okay okay right token strike and I, and you've got a paper up there right i can read it or is it a subsection of of a paper or something or is you it just can... in your head
1: no no um it, it is, there's there's a couple of places you can look. You can look at the white paper of Packet. so you go to okay. pkt.cash and you click up in the upper right white paper, and right. then there is a paragraph that just says what roughly Token Strike would do, yeah. and then if you want to read the spec of, of it, you know, the requirements, then you can go to um, the uh, packet pkt-cash um, GitHub uh, group, and then inside of that github group there's a um a repository called ns projects and this is the network steward uh, repository where all the records are kept so that's the that's the place to audit and um under there's inside of there there's a, a group called i'm uh, sorry a, a file called uh, tokenstrike.md in the project list and it's an accepted project it hasn't received any funding yet because it didn't ask for any prepayment and it hasn't um Hasn't achieved any results yet, but if you go there and you read that document, then you can see. You can read down from the top and see. That, you know what are the objectives of that project? And how it's, how it's basically going to work.
0: Okay. All right. All right. So, what brought you from uh from the U.S. to France?
1: In two thousand thirteen, um, I mean basically it was a woman,
0: to... wasn't it?
1: No actually uh it was a it was uh an opportunity because like i could have gone to paris i uh, sorry to um california and, and been a junior developer in you know california where i came from was rural there was you know there's no money no jobs unfortunately it is what it is you know rural areas just don't have the money um and that's that's been now changing because everything's remote. So now rural actually makes a lot of sense. But at the time, you know, you need if you want to make money, go to the city, and uh, the cities that or the options was basically, you know, Silicon Valley or New York or these kinds of places, and the cost of living in those uh, those cities is extraordinary. Uh, whereas going to Paris, it was a lifestyle that I more enjoyed. more I, I appreciate the European lifestyle and the um the cost of living versus the um the the salary was just a better deal like you did, you never. i never had the experience of being broke when i lived here you know and i started as a junior developer i didn't start out as you know research manager i was hmm. i was just so- developing software and uh yeah i mean and i've talked to other people about this and um you can be a pretty high level person in, you know, in, in your job and you live in L.A. or wherever, and you're going to have that experience of just being broke. You know, you've got the car, you've got the house, you've got uh, all these expenses and all this money that you're expected to pay. You know, people, It's expected. You must uh, blend in with the, the society and, and, and be, a, be a baller and have lots of money. Um, whereas you know, the European lifestyle, Parisian lifestyle, having lots of money is not such a, an important thing, you know, that they, they actually don't like you if you have money. So <laughs> um, it, it made for a much easier, easier lifestyle. And I mean, I also say that I've had, I have disagreements about the way that the U S operates and especially uh, at the time under George W. Bush. And uh, that was impactful on me as a teenager growing up and uh, you know, getting to, getting to move to Europe. Oh, also 2008, you know, I was in, in, it was like the apocalypse in uh, 2008 economic apocalypse. And oh yes. Yeah. At that time, you know, it Miracle. just, it just felt like Europe was a more positive place to be. And uh, the economics worked out and it was a, it was a new experience. So I moved out of my dad's house and moved to Paris. That was, that was my like moving out experience.
0: Wow! Yeah, and now you're having a uh, croissant on the on the cafes on the sidewalk. Is that right?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had my share of all that fun stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I, a lot of my a good percentage of my good friends are French, and uh, as soon as I said I'm going to have an in with you, they looked at you and they're like, "Oh, you better be careful. He's French. He's." French. <laughs> no, I mean this is just that. No, this is just French. Uh, um. um uh, Fre- french are very disparaging of other french people <laughs> i'm sure you know that
1: okay yeah
0: so <laughs> it's nothing is- personal about you
1: <laughs> no I, I just just find it interesting um so yeah I. what i what i've heard of is like two french people meet on the street in france and they're naturally enemies but two people French people meet on the street in America and they're naturally friends because they have something in common.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay. That, that's a bit different in Hong Kong. Because I think there's such a large amount of French people out here. They've brought France to Hong Kong now. Okay. If, 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 if a French person meets another French person on the street, they're like, you know, okay, circle okay. each other <laughs> like, you know, cats, you know, like... Ugh. Oh, that's <laughs> quite, interesting it's quite amusing you just got to showing one and it's like this there's, there's a whole cordoned off area which is all like french speaking I'm just it's not that bad but you know along these lines and i, I suppose it's also good for you being in europe because there's a lot of you know like a cypherpunk activity you've got the ccc going on there or or do you avoid all of that stuff or do you do you do you go check it out or what's going on uh
1: yes and no i mean sometimes uh, I, I've, I've been to the CCC a number of times I'm not a member per se I'm, I'm not sure if they would have me as a member <laughs> um, I uh, you know I, and I like I like the way they do things more than the way the American uh, hacker uh, community the American hacker community is just, just so focused on breaking things and and that's not sustainable um, and also it you know it's it's very spooky uh there's just like you know the kind of the joke is the defcon is the biggest uh c uh not c, nsa recruiting uh event you know it's, it's like all everybody it's it's very you know um macho and very like i can hack your computer kind of thing and so in that context i, I very much appreciate the the ccc as being an art focused and yeah. um more you know more my speed of things
0: but But also uh, in germany they've got you know there's entire networks there's an there's entire groups of people who are are very uh supportive of creating these you know separate internets you know different you know wi-fi uh communication pathways you know they're more than willing to pull fiber uh through, through 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 the drainage if they if they need to or have to you know, it's 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 a it's a it's quite a nice little culture, and and you know, there's a more respected, you know, privacy is more respected out there. I think this oh, is a yeah. lot more along your lines of 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 thinking too. But doesn't that make you a bit complacent?
1: Um, well, i I'll, I'll just, I'm, I want to dig into that complacent a little bit more, but I I was just going to make a comment that Germans. Okay. I mean, I could never really live in that culture because. Um, I can't i can't stand the the level of rules of, of uh, <laughs> i know restrictions that are are accepted in that culture yeah. um i i much more i get along with french because you know the french french are just anarchists by nature
0: Vive um, la france revolution yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> me exactly. too i i that's, i love that too <laughs>
1: um whereas yeah, I mean Germans and Swiss I just have to understand that as much as I I appreciate what they're able to do together you know I, I've heard a story I've spoke with a, a friend I mean, he lives in a um, in a, a house where everybody share puts their salary their entire salary into a into a pot that that funds this whole community house and oh, uh, right. and and yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that's the level of coordination that these people are able to achieve and I'm just like in awe because it's not something that I would ever be able to do myself, you know, for me I have the I have too much the american uh I need to what's mine is mine and so on and so forth. But um like with that level of coordination between people, they're able to achieve really really incredible things. Yeah. So I just have to look on from the side and say wow that's that's amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Give them applause from the sidelines, right? Like exactly. I could never run your marathon. <laughs>
1: exactly. Dig,
0: dig into the dig into the complacent comment. Um
1: so I want to understand what do you mean uh what, how Oh because
0: I, uh, what I mean by that is you know coming growing up in South Africa um uh you know, we also had shit internet. And I've always been thinking about how, how to make, you know, sort of rogue sort of guerrilla internet and, and, and along these lines, and, you know, c- coming, coming to Hong Kong, all of that sort of fell away, because the internet infrastructure is so damn good out here. And then it was, I think it sort of like fired up, um, what with all the protests and, and the, the Chinese government taking over and all that sort of stuff, um, and you know the, one of the main reasons I came out to Hong Kong because because the internet is so good, it and yeah. and having the internet taken away from me, it's it, I'm going to pull out I'm going to pull out my 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 knives I'm going to fight for it you see so I've I've no no longer complacent. I'm actually going out and creating stuff to 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 ensure that that no, no damn government or monopoly or Google or any of these fuckwit companies and estate actors can do this
1: Yeah so I mean I think that we're we're in brothers in arms on this uh, on this matter because I mean you know packet is fundamentally about making encrypted network that covers the whole the whole internet, uh, the whole world. Um, And if anybody wants to block that, then it's it's basically just the black market economy of of getting around that block. You know, the the Chinese government couldn't block uh, Bitcoin mining in China, they did what they could, but crypto is still a huge thing. And so connecting crypto to freedom of speech and uh, freedom of communication is a way that uh, we can make that something that's actually unstoppable. So, I mean, a complacency, yeah, you're right. I have 100 megabit internet at the house. I'm considering buying another internet for my business so that I have a, a dual uh, connections into the house. Um, and I'm, I'm paying 50 bucks a month for 100. And I could just pay a little more and get a gigabit or even... They even have 10 gigabit here that you can you can get from this provider. Although, I think if I got 10 gigabit, I'd use it. And if I used it, I'd probably get a call and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> um but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, we have a really wonderful internet situation here in France. And a lot of that, I mean, partially it's because uh, people are serious about um, public and private. Uh, they, they use public money to, to roll out a lot of fiber. Um, now, that this is not the situation in all of France. This is the situation in the Paris area. Right. Um, Paris takes care of Paris. Paris is not France. That's something you, you <laughs> know, like understand about France. Like Paris and France are actually at war with, with each other and they have been for like the past two thousand years. Um, but you know, I guess I live in Paris, uh, <laughs> for the most part. I mean, I'm an hour outside the city, but technically, this is or in in practice, this is Paris. But anyway, um, the reason why we have such such wonderful internet here is because of a company called Free. And uh, that, that company, it was founded by a guy named Xavier Noel. And um, he basically, I mean, he did what Cogent did to the backhaul companies. He just said, I'm going to make the internet, I'm going to cut the price. I'm going to do one-tenth the price of what all the other companies are doing. And he went in there with one-tenth the price and, and they all had to match him, obviously. And he really put a massive amount of pressure on uh, France Telecom, which is Orange, and uh, the Bouygues and the other, the other uh, incumbents, um, uh, Numericable, and um, you know he pushed the price individually, like alone that company pushed the price of internet down in the entire you know Paris area and I mean around all of France, just uh, just by entering that market and and insisting to continue to innovate and continue to make things faster and it's like the lesson to learn is that um new entrants are what make a market um, uh what th- that's what makes a market dynamic you know if you can have 10 participants in a market but it's the same 10 that have been there 100 years ago mm-hmm. they're all going to have some kind of agreements with each other about not competing too much yeah. so it all tends back to monopoly but yeah i mean am i complacent well i like my internet I like my internet, I like my coffee and I like my, uh, you know, French lifestyle. And the, I, I live down the road from a butcher shop and a pizza place. I live across the road from a bakery and a convenience store. You know, it's it's hard to beat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I can immediately visualize what's going on. I suppose you also do a lot of travel in Europe. Well, I mean, prior to, prior to COVID. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. any, anytime I had the opportunity to... Meet somebody or go to a conference. That was my, you know, if that existed, then yeah, absolutely. And it was your favorite place in Europe. That's a great question, Paris, of course, because I'm (laughs) here. Uh, Um, are you just
0: carrying favor with the Parisians?
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean. All all the different cities are are interesting in their own way. Berlin has this very dynamic culture, and um, I mean Amsterdam. I I don't think I'd want to live in Berlin, or I wouldn't want to live in Amsterdam. Um, Great places to visit, Uh, Mm. you know, know, and nice people that I know that live there. Um, And then you know, going to the east, there's uh, um, my wife is from Yash Romania, and um, you know that's that's also beautiful place and. They also have really fast internet in romania they, that was something they prioritized um and you know been to prague been to italy uh being a research manager I actually saw a lot of places because uh we would travel to to visit the different uh cities of the um to to do meetings with our our collaborative uh organizations and institutions for the project you know so italy it's it's beautiful down there again you know where yeah. do I want to live? I want to live in Paris. That's, that's the <laughs> place I want to
0: live. Was this the Horizon 2020 uh, European thing that you were working for?
1: Yeah, yeah we, did, we did H2020 projects. Uh, I, I closed up a couple of FP6, FP7 projects back when that was a thing. I did some... Uh, um, I forgot what is FP6?
0: Name. What is FP7? What is, what is that?
1: Uh, framework Program 6, Framework Program 7. These were the predecessors to H2020. Um, oh, and then, okay. there was also French funding bodies. Uh, I, I I don't remember the name, but there was a there were a number of, of French. Uh, well, BPI uh, it was French. French really know how to do research projects. They they founded a bank just to fund research projects, like they founded <laughs> Bank of Public Investments. So you know when you did a research project with the French, they they definitely knew how to do the paperwork aspect of it
0: yeah so the horizon 2020 I mean it, it, that seemed to be like the one that channeled like uh, oh billions of euros and then there were a number of subsidiaries um, uh, organizations which is which was associated with them and it was the, it would be their responsibility to to, to go through the, the, the applications and then give right. and your responsibility would to be find these to find these subsidiaries is that correct?
1: Um, At the time that I was involved, that the subsidiaries was not such a big thing. So we were going directly to the European Union as as a group. We would be a group of six to ten or six to twelve institutions, universities, companies, uh, small businesses. And um, we would go into this uh, and and we would we would actually have to go to Brussels and explain ourselves uh, to explain how we how we did the project and, and show What the results were now the subsidiary is a brilliant move and like that has improved the quality of research in my opinion is tenfold to have these these entities who again they bring the administration aspect and they can break it out into 20k 50k even 10k 5k projects and then they can allocate that money to these individual open source developers who are in the trenches typing code and that don't really know how to write an 80 page proposal and, uh, and get together with, uh, you know, 10 other organizations and then go to Brussels and explain them. So having like, uh, these, these organizations has really been positive. Now, these are the organizations who I'm trying to, to, to convince, to work with us on the packet project so that they can actually manage network steward projects because I've seen what they've been able to do and it is very, uh, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I, on, on the receiving end of, because of, um, I, I also uh, made an application to NLNet for this project, which I did, and I always shut down. I think I got past the, fa- the first stage and then afterwards I was shut down. I think it yeah. Michael? Michael told me to, he said like, no, no. Not, no, just no. Thank you yeah, very much, yeah. but no. Ah, So I was like, I, I think that was the last time I just sort of like, because NLNet is like, you know, one of the old guard of, of, you know, the old school internet and, and, and being sort of turned down. I mean, it's not, it's not bitter grapes. It's not sour grapes or anything. I mean, everybody's yeah. got, it's difficult enough to, to, to do this sort of stuff. But when I was like, when NLNet turned me down, that was a bit of a wake up moment for me because I was like, yeah. this is, this is one of the bastions of the free internet and this potential future internet candidate got shut down. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to ever rely on funding from any organization ever again. I'm never going to do this. Thing. It's just like, okay, that's it. Uh, this is well, all done by myself. I, I, because I think it was it's, the, it was a straw that broke yeah. my back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's that's not the right attitude because right. Um,
0: we. Do you know how much time you waste? Um, I could be writing code. Yeah. Oh yeah, no! Just true. going from 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 different funding organization to. It, okay. Just fuck it. I could I could just yeah. do it myself and.
1: What you know you whatever whichever way works out in the end but i mean i did a lot of typing i, I typed a lot of projects i um i got rejected you know i i, I yeah. got a lot of rejection letters and the people who you know like take for example one of these big companies you know a nokia or something they've just got people sitting there typing all day and they just Applying to projects, apply, 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 because they're they're just figuring eventually they're gonna they're gonna get one, and uh, so that's kind of the attitude you have to take in order to in order to start winning projects. And I also, I mean, that's that's related to this situation is that um, I mean I I've got a project in I just put in a project for, for related to packet just you know see if I could get some funding for doing a bit of research with some, some research partners. It's not that we don't have money in packet. It's that the, the people who are in the research space are, it's easier for them to understand money when it's coming from a funding body. So, you know, we work together to put this project in. And if I had said, I want to hire you to do a research project in this context, they they would have said mm, what's that what is this but saying hey let's work together and make a project and we're going to apply to nlnet uh actually we applied to uh, funding box um then you know it made a lot more sense because this is something these people have experience with and it, it gives us this outside validation that this is a this is a valid project oh. this is a good use of funds so awesome. I put that in I'm waiting I'm, I mean if we get accepted or rejected it's it is what it is and um maybe I'll, you know, reuse that uh, that proposal to some of that text to you know put in another project at some point. Although, I I feel like I'm probably going to be in conflict of interest, so I should probably not propose any projects to these people because I'm calling them and I want them to actually be uh, you know below <laughs> me as as the, uh, the 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 issuers of the project. So I, 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 I should get I projects see. from them.
0: So okay, given given that's a, that's a pretty interesting subject to talk about. Like, um, I think maybe a, a number of people that, that are looking at this sort of problem m- might benefit from this knowledge. How would you okay, given your experience and knowledge of working with uh, uh H, Horizon twenty twenty, um, and f- doing all the funding and whatnot, how how are you going to structure this this packet, uh, funding thing? Because I mean I mean. I think a lot of programmers and even even Bitcoiners might not appreciate that the, the amount of shit crawling that goes into into you know getting projects funded and yeah. you know like they they, they can disparage I suppose a coin. they can disparage it, like if it's not solving a problem you know right. um, but yeah go go into it how would you structure it.
1: Um, So we already have, I mean, we have a structure for funding, we've we've funded about 10 projects so far. um, And the the funding structure is um, you you need to fill out basically a a markdown file, which is your application. And um, the key things we're looking for is um, success criteria. So, you know, uh, going back to H 2020, there, there's a way to there, there's good ways and bad ways to win a project and the bad ways are that you just get the right people in the project. You know, if you've got, uh, if you've got the, uh, the, the big companies, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, you've got the right companies that have the lobbyists yeah. and then, you know, you're going to get the project, but, um, the good way to win a project and you can, you know, you use a combination of different ways, but the good way, the positive thing to do is to write solid success criteria. You're basically saying, If I don't deliver this and this and this by the first milestone, then you can shut me down. And when you say that, then the the funding body is able to say, okay, we know what we're getting for our money or we're not, but they didn't just say, give me some money and I'm going to maybe do something or not. They're saying... Give me money, and this is what I'm going to do, and these are the hours I'm going to work on it, and then these are the KPIs. So you really need to focus on success criteria. So success criteria is uh, this is the definition of success, and if this thing is not achieved, then we didn't succeed. And the KPI, obviously, is you can measure our results by this metric. This is the thing that we're, this is the number we're going to make go up, basically.
0: okay all right okay and th- that's the sort of thing that you're just gonna like pr- uh, tell tell ev- to everyone who's gonna apply for these things but then how are you gonna scale that out I imagine that you'd want to go to
1: I mean Michael this, this is, <laughs> Michael you know that's that's our scale is that we get uh, you know we get people to operate Michael under, from ml net right yeah yeah, yeah of yeah. course you know yeah. that's that's the idea <laughs> is that we need to we need to get people in and um, yeah to be able to do the administration aspect um we have our process and i mean they can adapt the process you know to, to what makes sense based on their organization but uh we need yeah. a- administrators
0: but this but there's a further problem that you have is is that uh, there's not much price discovery in this packet token you see what i mean how um, does one how right, does one how do you
1: price it out well, there is there is a telegram trading chat and there are people people discussing you know, and trading uh, the the coin for uh, you know, pricing it out in dollars. So this there is some price discovery. You're right. There isn't uh, as much as there would be if it was on exchange. And you know it's it's community coins. So I feel like getting to an exchange is a longer, has been a longer road for us than it would be on you know one of these centralized tokens where somebody you know just printed uh 30 of them into their own pocket and then they kind of give them all their friends and they give them to the exchange to get them on the exchange so you know for us being a community coin we we needed to go around to our community and uh we're there are some initiatives going on to try to get uh pack it on to an exchange where there'll be more price discovery but um right now the the price I mean people people have traded at um you know if I said three cents that would be a little bit uh high but I think two cents is a very stable price at this point you know when we started we kind of just said okay it's going to be a tenth of a cent that's 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 our imagined number and then uh you know over time it uh it went to from a tenth to two tenths to, to three tenths and it was actually three tenths of a cent you know only a couple of months ago and then uh you know how crypto projects work is you know everybody kind of piled in the chat and all of a sudden you know it's it's gone up to you know half a cent and then eight tenths of a cent and a cent and then now two ten, uh, two cents is uh is is happening but you know the point is that it, it's been a very organic and slow process to get there so i feel comfortable about those numbers as opposed to you know it's, it's like somebody just to sit this is the price and people kind of for some reason believe them
0: okay all right uh, and and somebody like michael of of nlnet i wonder how he would take that has he already heard like what's going on here well yeah I
1: mean, uh, we we did talk uh, the, I'm, uh i'm i'm leaking information here but uh don't
0: don't it's
1: it's nothing secret it's just uh you know i, I did i did talk with him uh, because i i want to make this happen um and the idea is that the internet's not prepared to really take on uh a cryptocurrency, so we would have oh. a, a financier that would come in and uh i mean they might be, but we don't want to ask them to, you know, it, w- it just slows things down too much to ask them to take that on their books as an asset. So it's, it's easier to just bring in a community member who's looking to load up on packet at a fixed price. And then that community member would be the, um, the, the supporter for that, uh, for that, that initiative. And there are some people who would be interested in doing that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, there's a lot. It's quite challenging, oh, it's so challenging in so many different ways. Oh. It's
1: fun. I have fun no, every it day.
0: It is fun. It is fun, but it's, it's still bloody challenging. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so, okay. Then the rewrite of the, the C, don't you think you should rename it? Don't call it CJDNS. Are you gonna- <laughs> I can see that ego. <laughs> Of because, course. I mean, it doesn't do it doesn't do DNS anymore. Well, you did. can still keep that CJD. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean, it, yeah, never, it never did DNS. Um, but it will. I mean, in the future it will because ah, the name lookup is integrated into the route lookup. So, these are related. So, in the end, CJDNS will actually resolve DNS.
0: <laughs> Full circle.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Stick with it then. Stick with it then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we anyway. Try
1: not to, we try not to change things if they don't need to be changed, yeah. you know, the, the whole yeah. sticky uh, protocols and um, it's measurements true.
0: and such things. It's true. Like CJ, the name CJDNS is now out there. Everybody knows it. Everybody yep. knows it. Yeah. You're a bit well, of a rock reason, star in this domain.
1: I suppose so. I mean, the reason <laughs> why uh, CJDNS stuck I mean, originally it was going to be a, a DNS router, a DNS uh, server, but uh, I started working on the code. And uh, it actually came from a, an IRC channel called uh, DNS P2P. And that was created by um, Broke P, uh, aka Peter Sunday of uh, the Pirate Bay fame. And yeah. he started that channel in 2010, I believe, late 2010. He started that IRC channel and said, We need a solution to DNS. And <laughs> that was where a lot of people started getting together and talking. And, and in, in those conversations, a few different proposals for dns actually you know emerged one of them was namecoin that's where namecoin came from it was in that channel where where the the person who initially created namecoin they did it in that channel and i remember that's where i got exposed to bitcoin 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 everybody was talking about it um but um that was where cjdns got its start and we were You know talking at that time about doing a dns server but the reality is dns is a very difficult problem it's a political problem who owns a domain is is a political question and if you can just grab a domain that really is somebody else's uh, their their name and you're just taking that and then disparaging them or you're running malware or that that kind of stuff like that's these are the problems that have been plaguing Fully decentralized DNS, and mm. because it's such a political problem, you know, it was something that, I'd, once I understood it, I said, "Okay, we're going to solve routing instead."
0: How are you going to solve it now? Now that you know, I mean, okay, so so the main the main issue is like I have a name, um, say yeah. Cup, and um, or microphone, um, and now I own this name, right?
1: So. We're gonna we're gonna punt this problem and we're gonna punt it to the cloud ISPs. So you'll just resolve DNS with them. They'll probably resolve it with ICANN. Um, I'd love it if they'd also do .bit domains because then that would loop Namecoin back into the mix. You know because Namecoin is a great project. Um, and you know I know I know Jeremy and uh, they're actually funded with the Helmet now. Um, again, example like these crypto projects that when you don't have an explicit method to fund the development of the project, then the developers have their hat in their hands.
0: Yeah. 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 No, the way, the way I, the way I, I approached this particular problem was like, yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to put your public key, uh, yep. prepend it to everything. And this, this gives a uniqueness. And of course yep. the data is signed. So in, the, in this way, like you can have, your public key microphone and I have my public key microphone and the two will never conflict. And of course the data will never route anything that doesn't check the sign, you know, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't pass a sign a signature check.
1: That's an easy solution that gives you links that will yeah. always work. You know, yeah. uh, so that's, that's incredibly good. Um, for some reason, people don't like that. People like ah, links, uh, I know.
0: I know, but this, my, 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 the way to reason with that would, would be like, okay, maybe on a software level, you can have the equivalent of an address book. So I right. would just type in C-J-D-N-A- CJD colon microphone. right? And then there would be a yeah, lookup, yeah. but it would be a local lookup. And the only lookup would be to convert CJD to your, your public key. And then that goes out into the network.
1: You know, we did a lot of research on that topic. is GNU Net, uh, they they had this pet name system where you could define the name of something yourself, and then there was this delegated pet names. Um, I don't know how well it worked. I mean, it didn't it didn't work as well as I can. I think the problem with I can it's that like if. So the problem with Namecoin is that if you're going to pay for a name, you might as well pay for a name on ICANN where everybody can just resolve it instantly. And I mean, that, that was just the death of Namecoin. And then, you know, the pet name system and, and GNUnet. I think GNUnet is a really, really interesting. A lot of interesting research going on there. Um, it's it's It should get more press than it does. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they attempted to solve this, I think, um, maybe it doesn't get as much press as it, or it doesn't get as much attention as it ought to for for the quality of research because um they try to solve every problem from layer one all the way to layer seven and uh you know it, it's like you you must use the gnu blah 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 for everything in the gnu net world i am I'm, ju- I'm just kind of riffing here but well uh, you're not really <laughs>
0: because <laughs> there is that element of like a strong ideological sort of yeah. drive in that, in that field, in that area, which is, you know, it it's done a lot of benefit to the world, but you know, too strong an ideology ideology for everything can be, can have negative sides too, I think.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's positive from a research perspective because all the things that are learned there can be reapplied in a more, um, what's what's the word um uh, more reasonable what's, what's, uh, it's like uh realistic uh r- realistic context where you know it yeah. can be industrialized
0: that's interesting you see it that way yeah that's very forgiving of you <laughs> I,
1: i'm a fan and of practical. research eh? yeah yeah practical that's the word i'm looking for I, but i'm a fan of research i'm a fan of the idea that you do you do fundamental research, you, you learn things, and then you take those things and you turn them around and you try to industrialize them. And not everybody's gonna do the same thing. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were partners in the research, we were doing the industrialization. We were trying to figure out like, what, did, what came from this project? What did these people learn that we can make use of? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's, very, it's, it's very useful, a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah. It's well. more
1: useful than a lot of papers that get written in
0: fact that's true of recent uh of recent years uh this uh what's it uh this uh no i i suppose i shouldn't it would be a sensitive subject taking conversation in that direction i won't do that and i think you probably know what i'm going to talk about <laughs> no
1: i mean it's, it's it's all right
0: if you wish no, oh yeah yeah um caleb thank you very much i really appreciate this conversation i think you've done wonders for 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 the networking world um you thank know you. like you've you've set it uh, even from my perspective, you set a really good example for me. Um, you know, the, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling of, of uh, my packet arriving in New Zealand via CJDNS. I will never forget that. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, you know, when you play Quake, Quake, well, Quake 1 was my moment right. when, when, when you're like, oh my God, computers can do that, you know? But yeah. that was my sort of like one of my moments of uh, at least in the networking world. And, and, and it would be wonderful. I'm going to follow your project. let's track it and see how it goes might even participate in it and you uh, should
1: mine some it doesn't cost you anything you use your bandwidth to mine you just fire up a computer and just mine it you know it's fun it's 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 you know be in the community it's it's a cool thing to do
0: really yeah (laughs) because because i got my little light lightning network thing going over here i'm sure i can repurpose it uh what's what's the Uh, it's all rust
1: uh, yeah, the packet crypt is rust and you, you just install the packet wallet and then you get the packet crypt going and you, you just use some, uh, some CPU and some bandwidth, and you're off to the races. That's, that's <laughs> one of the points of packet is to be very um, low barrier venture. You know, you, you should be able to, everybody should be able to mine. You know, everybody should be able to be part of that, that community and that ecosystem, that, that stuff happening you can also participate on the network steward side, you know, I mean, you're building a network protocol. That could be an interesting thing. You know, maybe, maybe Michael is more interested, uh, to, to evaluate your project in the context of the rules for the packet network, rather than, you know, the rules of, uh, the NGI, you know, there's, there's lots of ways and, you know, it's, it's important for packet that we continue to finance the build out of the, the, the roadmap and, Mesh networking and research and development on this in general. So there's a lot of opportunities from just mining packet holding, uh, building some of the tech, building some of your own tech, doing the research, writing even papers. You know, there's all kinds of things that can be done in this community.
0: How about that? And maybe we should we could we could think of that. Um, like I I don't I don't know if Copernica would. You mentioned that you thought uh, CJDNS was you know, you, you said you might being a bit cowardly, right? Uh, in the sense that, you, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you like the idea of content centric, but the whole shift of the of the, the middle west, the center west, would be yeah. you feel too much, right? Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, let's be cowardly, because we can get things done. That's
0: yeah, no, I understand. I understand that. So I, I, I would have imagined that something like Copernica would be too dramatic, too ambitious.
1: Oh, but they can live together. And in fact, what they benefit each other because creating, putting a price on bandwidth between any place and any other place has the effect of uh, establishing what it's worth to cache data in a, a locality nearby to where it's going to be used. And once you've established that value, then being able to store data with somebody, that's where you're you're able to... Um, that becomes something that you can put a price on
0: it. Yeah, yeah. That one's a tough one, though. It's a tough one. But because cause in, a, in, a, in, in this sort of like a information-centric network, what happens is you, move, you, move, you, you reduce the cost of bandwidth to a theoretical minimum. Because I no longer have to go across the world to go and get this video. I get it from my next-door neighbor, whoever's closest, and I get it. Yeah. So it's, and it's I mean, they're already smart. doing
1: that, so it's already a smart thing to do. I mean, you've got uh, Akame and um, Netflix and all they, these they, CDNs.
0: Nah, they, they can't get into the living room. Do you no, see yeah, what I mean? You're,
1: you're right, you're right. But the fact that they're doing it in some context shows you that ah, the economics yeah. is there.
0: Ah, I see what you mean. Yes. Oh, no, very much so. Very certainly. So, definitely, you know. Uh, and these these, these are very you know these are big companies that they, they command a lot of money a lot of value so so i think that yeah some people were saying yeah just just uh, uh make this into a cdn kind of thing uh, yeah anyway uh, i'll well, see i'll see indeed this conversation so, has been fantastic i really appreciate it oh,
1: yeah, and uh,
0: if you have any um do you have any way uh, if people want to get hold of you and get in contact with you how, how should they do that?
1: Get on pkt.chat, You know, it's one of these cool domains. It's pkt.chat. And uh, talk to both of us, actually, because we're both on there.
0: <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Okay. Thanks so much.